Hello and welcome to Canoso episode 5. Here we are guys as we exit 1987 with the 13th edition of Saturday Night's Main Event and enter 1988 with the 14th edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. We're here at the end of 1987, a very historical year within the WWE and I'm looking forward to jump into 88 and then there on after. So enough of me babbling guys, let's get to it. Take it away guys. All right, Swerve, it's Ryan back here, guys, to give you the arena report and the landscape of the WWF at the time coming in to this 13th edition of Saturday Night's Main Event, November 1987. Your world champ is the immortal Hulk Hogan, coming to the end, perhaps, of his legendary first lengthy WWE title reign here. Your intercontinental champion is the Honky Tonk Man, in the middle of his historical Intercontinental Championship run. And the tag champs are Strike Force, Tito Santana and Rick Martel, again in the middle of their WWF tag team title run. So those are your champions here at the end of 1987, heading into 1988. Alright, so the 13th edition of Saturday Night's Main Event aired on November 28th, 1987, from the Seattle Center Coliseum in Seattle, Washington. However, was taped two days after my second birthday, November 11th, 1987. There was 16,000 roughly in attendance, and the TV rating for this event was 11.3, the second highest Saturday Night's main event ever, coming off the big, historical 1987 Survivor Series in that awesome Honky Tonk Man, Macho Man Savage angle from the previous Saturday Night's main event, and Hogan versus Bundy with Bobby the Brain Heenan and Andre the Giant lurking. So a lot of buzz heading into this Saturday Night's Main Event. And again, this is a precursor to the big main event that we will cover in a future episode here that did the highest ratings in WWF history. So this is actually the first televised event, or actually perhaps the first event, I cannot confirm either way, of the Seattle Central Coliseum. Later the Key Arena, now the Climate Pledge Arena. Home of the Seattle Kraken. However, not home of the Seattle Supersonics. How about it? Go Celtics. The WWE would go on and have a plethora of Raws and Smackdowns and even an NXT taping here. But they would only go on to have two pay-per-views, one being in 2009 where Edge would have that run-in and win the World Heavyweight Championship inside Elimination Chamber at No Way Out 2009 and Over the Limit 2011 where the main event was John Cena defeating The Miz in an I Quit match. 27-25 that bell time. Oof, I'm not sure I want to go go back and rewatch that one. All right, the dark matches heading into this Saturday night's main event were Sam Houston defeating Barry Horowitz, Don Morocco defeating Rip Oliver, the Ultimate Warrior defeating Jim the Anvil Neidhart, the Bolsheviks defeating the Rougeau brothers, Ted DiBiase defeating Hillbilly Jim, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan, King Harley Race in a double DQ. And those were the dark matches heading into the main event. So that's enough of this landscape and arena report. Let's get to the actual Saturday night's main event. What's up, North-South Connection? This is Mike Rossi, and I am here to discuss 
the promos that went down with King Kong Bundy and Bobby Heenan and Hulk Hogan and the build-up to their matches at the November 1987 and January 1988 Saturday Night's Main Events. So first and foremost, they started with the beginning of the show in November of 1987 had like a space feel to the background while Macho Man cut a promo. Um, they put like spooky music in the background. So then after Macho was done, you know, rambling about whatever coked up nonsense he was talking about, they cut to Bundy. Now Bundy was with Heenan on like the right side of the screen. I really liked promos like this back in the day because they had in the top left-hand corner the Bundy logo. So it just says King Kong Bundy in his logo. I really liked that. I, thought, I always thought that was a good touch. Maybe if you didn't watch the show every week, um, you obviously knew who Hulk Hogan was, but you might not know who King Kong Bundy was. So I really liked this touch back in the day with all of these old promos. So now Heenan says, rise and shine, humanoids. Call your friends. Call your neighbors. Wake up your big fat wife because tonight's going to be historic. He said that there will be a big surprise that he's got planned. And that Bundy Mania will now live forever, and Hulkamania will forever be dead. Bundy then jumps in and says, Long live Bundy Mania. And their quick promo ends with Heenan chanting, Bundy, Bundy, Bundy. Pretty cute promo. I was really a big fan of how they introduced this match with these two. Um, then Hogan comes in. Now, Hogan's got the same space background, but he's got this frayed bandana that's like covering over his eyes. He looks especially coked out of his skull, which for 1987 Hogan is saying something. Uh, so he starts by saying Bundy mania. That's a lot of cheap talk. Um, it'll take a lot more than just the newly, uh, newly accounted for Bundy mania to defeat me, Hulk Hogan. Bundy, you're big, you're strong, but to beat me, you have to beat the prayers. You have to beat the vitamins. You have to beat the training of not just me, but all the Hulkamaniacs out there. The Hulkamaniacs will have my back, and you will have to beat me, the Hulkamaniacs, and the 24-gun salute, which he means as his arms, um, which he then just has a ridiculous flex. He just looks just shredded to the gills here. And that's how we finish the first round of promos before we head into the show for the remainder of the November 1987 Saturday Night's Main Event. Uh, Cronoso. Jim Boy Jake back here. Um, you know, throughout this this project, I've not always chosen the uh, the most monumentous matches to pick. You know, kind of been the lower end of the spectrum here. And this is going to be no different. As uh, today I'm going to be discussing George Steele versus Danny Davis from the November 28th, I believe, Saturday Night's Main Event that we're talking here. Uh, this opens the show, so uh, obviously... Uh, they kind of went away from the format of opening this Saturday Night's Main Event with the biggest match because this is certainly not it. Um, the the whole, the crux of this uh, this matchup is that in South Bend, Indiana, um, what is described as a spring of 1987, so presumably about six or more months ago, Danny Davis hit George Steele with a ring bell. And so I guess this is the big payoff uh, to see how this goes. So, uh Obviously, George Steele is going to be your face here, and uh, Danny Davis is the nefarious heel. Uh, they both cut promos, if you want to call them that, before the match. Uh, Davis uh, is speaking with Jesse. Uh, Jesse says that uh, 
that George Steele should be banned for his antics. Uh, Danny agrees with this. I don't even know if how many times I remember hearing Danny Davis's voice, um, but he said he's going to ring his bell again. So uh, nothing too memorable there from old Danny. Uh, George Steele has his own promo where he just says the same words over and over again. Uh, he's uncomfortably stroking and fondling uh, Elizabeth doll. Gene is very uh, off-put by this. Um, and then he leaves the promo just by saying, Bell, Bell. Um, yeah, the, the George Steele characterization hasn't aged well, I have to say. Um, but anyway, we, we head down for the matches. This is the opener of the show. And it's um, uh, we get a quick Jesse... Uh, I took this as a barrier of George, Co- um, sorry, George Costell, George Steele, Howard Costell being a drunk as uh, they talk something about him retiring. And Jesse says, well, at least his hands don't shake like Costell. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, we get some biting to start, as you would expect. Lots of Danny Davis running around the outside as George Steele kind of just meanders around the ring. We do get, and Jesse even calls us on commentary, an actual wrestling move from George Steele, which was uh, surprising. He gets a little drop to hole, but then George, um, Dana Davis immediately bails back to the outside, continues running around in a circle um, to some crowd heat. Not sure if this is all legitimate crowd heat. It sounds a tad sweetened, but it's possible. It's the 80s. I mean, they are. That is the strength of this match, I have to say, is that they are each, I guess, over in their own respect. The crowd hates Danny Davis. And uh, I guess they're in the George Steele and his. Uh, buffoonery, I would call it. But uh, so it's all theatrics here. It's just a lot of animal chasing Danny Davis. Danny Davis takes up the foreign object, um, which I'm not sure. A lot of times these foreign objects, uh, is this a chicken bone? It looks like maybe that or a tusk of a, a small horned animal. That could be it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that ref doesn't see Danny Davis using this as he, I mean, it's a, Maybe he doesn't have the angle, but I don't know what else he would think he'd be jamming into his throat. But regardless, um, Steele kind of powers out of this, puts him up in the hammerlock. And during this, uh, uh, Danny Davis kicks the ref. Almost looks inadvertent, but the ref is like, after all that, using the foreign object, he didn't care. But this one little kick uh, asunder and the <laughs> the ref calls for the DQ here. So there's your finish. Um, bell rings, DQ. Uh, George Steele, of course, got to get his shit in, eats the turnbuckle, gets all the foam everywhere. Danny Davis comes back after him to try and hit a few shots, I guess, um, feeling the uh, euphoric high of ripping the turnbuckle open. George Steele no-sells it, gets the foreign object, and chases old Danny back up the ramp. But, yeah, this match is just pure, uh, it felt like it was right out at 78. Um, you know, I don't even know if I'm going to give this a star rating. It was just for the crowd to to boo Danny Davis, and I guess presumably, probably um, to uh, <laughs> to to cheer George Steele. I guess cheer him. But they were into the antics. They were in the George Steele. They they hate Danny Davis, so it worked on that level. But yeah, just pure like WWF classic um, theatrics. Not something you're going to come to to look for. Uh, any wrestling moves, but it got the crowd hyped up for what it was. I mean, it's the 80s, it's late 80s, so crowd is really eating up anything that they're serving up. And this was kind of no different. But yeah, would I would I go? There was nary a wrestling move in this entire match. It's just a lot about the theatrics of it. So uh, yeah, that was pretty much it. So if you are a um, if you're a fan of that kind of stuff, then go ahead and watch this. If not, you could probably hit that uh, that 10 second skip. Uh, about 20 times and just uh, pass this bad boy up and continue on and uh, maybe watch everything else that you're about to hear about here as we go through this uh, Saturday night's main event here on Cronoso. 
Good to talk to you guys as always, uh, and I'll see you around the feed. All right, monthly Cardoso, we're here with the Macho Man Randy Savage versus Brett the Hitman Hart. Is he the Hitman yet, Dave? He is definitely the Hitman. Uh, very clear. We've even got a target on his logo. All right, Dave, you we do a draft here because I'm a sports nut, and that's the only fair way I could think of presenting these matches to all our Cronoso people. So I, we just have a randomizer that we have a draft in. You were lucky enough to get this match in the draft, and uh, you were nice enough to include me in here and do it for the YouTube fans. Ah, oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, it'll be a, a, an occasion for all our, uh, all our listeners and viewers to actually see what an Australian looks like. We are truly north-south today, truly north-south, by oh, either, end of the, either end of the equator. Absolutely. So it's a Sunday night in, in, in America. It's, it's 8 o'clock. What time is it down under? It's uh, it's just on 10 o'clock in the morning, Monday. So I'm ahead of you. I promise I won't tell you what happens. Wow. Wearing a 49ers jersey, you're not really used to being ahead of anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. All right. But hey, Dave, we're going to do a lot. We're going to do a watch along here. But do you mind to tell us the, about the interviews before we get going on the match? Absolutely. No, so so as with most uh, Saturday night main events, uh episodes we get uh we get a couple of good interviews uh before this um for those of you who who've been following along on this journey um this match randy savage and bret hart is a flow on has a flow on effect from our last saturday night's main event uh where randy savage faced the honky tonk man and uh won the match by disqualification when brett interfered while he was going for the three counts and then we get a hype video for that and uh and then we jump into an interview, Mean Jeans, with the Heart Foundation and Jim and Jimmy. And, um, you know, Gene says he's sickened. He's sickened by what the Heart Foundation have been doing. And, uh, you know, it's sort of a bit, I think it's been a bit overdramatic. I mean, they didn't really do anything uh, last time around. But Brett says that practice makes perfect. And uh, I quite love that little comment from Brett, especially when you think of what what's going to come in the future for Brett and uh and some of the men he competes against. So I quite love that. G Jimmy Hart calls Liz the daughter of the devil. And uh, that was that was a really fun little comment too. And uh, and Anvil is just laughing his head off the way, only the way the Anvil does. And and they they come out and, and get in the ring. And then we jump back to uh, to Mean Gene with the Macho Man. And oh, look, I really found this a little annoying because he turns to Liz and goes, have you recovered from these attacks? This attack last time, if you remember last time, Honky just pushed her over. He didn't yeah. really do that much to her. And uh, she says she's been in a little bit of pain. And Macho, in, in the only way he does, oh, pain, I've been in pain. And uh, and he starts talking about how he's been feeling the pain and uh, he's going to overcome today. Uh, it's his quest. It's his vow. He won't rest till he gets him. It's it's a great promo. It's a, it's a good Macho Man promo. You can never... You can never get too much of it. But as, as Macho said last time, we're entering the danger zone. And uh, Macho comes to the ring ready to enter the danger zone. I was actually waiting for the danger zone music to come in. A little bit of Top Gun music would have would have really worked there. But uh, no, we get our, we get his typical theme, though. So it's they come fitting. to the ring we're, and we're, we're ready We're in 1987, so it's fitting. That's it. That's it. So, so we're ready to go for this, Aaron. Uh, Ryan, sorry. Oh, sorry, Ryan. I'm having one of those moments. 
No worries. Aaron has like floppy hair. And, so I, I don't know. Yeah, he's a Canadian. He's way north. I'm in Massachusetts, which is, you know, six hours below him. No worries. And All I'm right. another 13 hours south. <laughs> You're already in fucking Monday. So. <laughs> All right, Dave, let's uh let's throw on the match here, right? Let's get it going. So you for the for the peacock listeners, or the you the YouTube if you want to watch along here on audio, you here you go. Ready? So we are 14. 14- 42. So Macho comes in. It was really cool at the start of this is Macho didn't let Liz get in the ring. He was worried about her getting in the ring. He jumps straight in the ring and is threatening uh, Breton. And what I really like is on the outside, the anvil and Jimmy Hart start stalking Liz. And so uh, Macho jumps straight out to protect her and defend her. And Jesse even says, this could be distracting for the Macho man. So as the boss gets come down here, we had Aaron and JT. They ranked the Macho Man's WrestleMania gear. So I wonder if this red gear he wore at WrestleMania. I was kind. I kind of like the red gear here. Uh, hold on, let's see what the Honky Man is saying as we uh, as we shake rattle our way. I'm not finished playing with a Macho Man, and I'm certainly not finished playing with Elizabeth either. <laughs> What a pervert that I, I, I love I loved Honky at this time. It was he was just so good at, at this little this little role. And we see Macho's chasing the boys around the ring. I love that he caught Brett before he got in the ring, drags him back out. It's it's a great thing that you know they don't just get in and 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 do the old heel thing and oh straight into the ring post. What I love about this era is that move. Brett is selling it. It hurt. He's in the shoulder. It even carries his shoulder, getting back in the ring. These days, going to the ring post is just, it's a passing move. You know, people go into the ring post, jump yeah. in the ring as if nothing happened. But back in 87, back in these in these great um, great heyday of, uh, of this time period, these moves hurt and uh, they hurt bad. And so, you know, you know, it's a great way to regain control. Look at the urgency on Macho there. As soon as Brett's feet hit the mat, he was after it. He, he he's vengeful. But yeah, it weird. And, and Brett brought that selling into the '90s too. I'm wondering really where that lost its luster. It's just when the I, I'm sure it was the consistency and the moves and the pace and the TV era of the late '90s kind of really probably. Absolutely, and I love how quick they they've got the the, the match going here. Like Macho, mm-hmm. that 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 quick spin back into the turnbuckle, and he chases him in so quick. And you know these guys are moving fast. It wasn't this slow pace that that you often got in in some of these TV matches. They were moving at a breakneck speed. Even that, even how Brett threw his hips into the choke there, the small details there, you know, just mm. like the leverage he got into that choke was excellent. Even the macho, these guys are. Did you do a GWDB list? These guys are top seven guys. I did. I, mean. I did. I think I had. I had macho. He was definitely in my top. He was definitely. In, well, both of them were in my top five. Yeah, I think these uh, guys were my top. I had macho three or two or three, and then I had Brett like five, six, or seven, probably yeah, seven. I, yeah, so I'm I'm a big I'm a big fan of both of these guys. I love I love this bit uh, Macho going for the throat again, and uh, I this this referee I can't stand this referee. Uh, Jack yeah. Roll, I think his name is Jack Kruger. Can't Especially when we get out him. here, when we get out here, it's like, bro, you're not the show. Calm down, you know. 
But but Macho takes advantage. Brett on the outside, he, he knees him in the back, sends him to the floor. I, I love that that Randy Savage, even as he's gone to be a popular wrestler in the eyes of the fans, he was still wrestling the way he did against Ricky Steamboat 12 months earlier when he was the, the, the hated guy. He still takes the cheap shot, still goes for the throat, still willing to cheat. And, uh, and Jesse will call yeah. him out on it. But Jesse will always acknowledge that hey, he'll do he does what he can. Take him down, Jimmy. Jimmy, he don't want the smoke. Bring him down. Come on, come on. But wait, there we go. This meeting of the minds. Nogger knock. Oh, look at Hart. Excellent sell. Where's the hitman? Oh. Hitman's on the floor. And and I love that Savage is taking advantage of it, but oh, megaphone to the belly. They were playing chess. They thought Macho thought he was playing checkers. Where they was putting him there, he outthought him. But no, nah, they were playing chess. He had the microphone ready to go. And what I love here is, as Liz goes to tend to him, she keeps looking at where's the anvil. Like she's concerned about being able to help him because she doesn't want to get attacked herself. I love even Liz plays into the the storyline of the match. Yep. Oof! I love it. Just. So slapping the mat, that's the new slap in the thigh, right? The slap in the <laughs> thigh has replaced kicking the slap in the mat with your th- foot. <laughs> All right, let's see what Vince is saying about this match over here. Him, he knows how to put an opponent away. Look at him, they're trying to intimidate Elizabeth. <laughs> there you go, back to what you were saying. And look at this, Bret Hart continuing his attack. I do miss the little heart on the center, though. Yeah, yeah, it was good. And um, it's not, not here yet. It, it comes with time. But I love how Brett just doesn't – he doesn't sit back and, and wait. He's straight in. He, he's, he's all action. That this, That's what really stands out in this match. It's it's all action. And, the, and I, I like you – Brett's getting annoyed that the referee is not letting him continue the attack. I think it's a, a good little thing rather than just the old stand back with the hands in the air. Yes, sir. I'm well, I'm not doing anything wrong. He knows the macho man is, is the guy. He, you know, he knows he's going to stay on him to keep that top down guy down. I always great, great liked pile driver, yeah, by pile, the way. Always liked his pile driver. Great kick out too. Hmm. See, he he exerted all of his energy there on the kick out, and now he's still selling the exhaustion and the pain. And it was Macho was so good at that. He Savage was so good at that 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 selling the pain and the desperate moment, and that he's just just staying in the match. Yep. Oof. The excellent of execution, you don't say, huh? That's it. That's it. And and it shows this early. I mean, it's it's eighty seven. We're still in the in the height of the tag run, and yet he's uh he really shows. Um, his his skill and and it comes out there and we're going post to post shoulder in again um he's always loved that, that love that move love that shoulder into the post he did it all through his career it was always the 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 turning point for his match yeah i'm sure a lot of his ideas have spawned off that post if you get the the leg lock with the whatever the he always seemed to get a bump off of there the the kick on the back of the with the uh wrestlemania 10 and the wrestlemania 8 so, it's, I wonder. He's a smart guy, of course. And here we get the, the the reverse situation. Brett just managing to kick out, but but struggling after the double axe handle. It's uh, it's good uh, good counter counter wrestling between the two. And here's Brett's backbreaker. Ooh. I love that move. 
you can see you can see at this point in time what they saw in Bret Hart as a as a mechanic as as the in ring technician and where where he was too good for the tag team ranks. Right there too, even the sell and the miss. Mm, that's right. It's interesting that that Brett is getting a lot of offense in this match. And I noted in our last Saturday night's main event, Randy Savage really dominated Honky Tonk Man and really, you know, sort of dominated everything that was going on. But in this match, he's giving Brett a lot of a lot of offense. Although that's there's that move I was talking about off the top rope clothesline. Yeah. Jimmy, All, too. Okay. No wasted movements. Always at it. Yeah, baby, it. yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on, baby. Come on. Get in there, ref. Get in there. Look at this. <laughs> that was excellent. Oh, look at that backdrop over the top rope. Oh, and there we go. Selling the ankle. A pivotal mm. story the rest of the way. And and I like Jimmy and Jimmy and the Anvil. They're both pointing out. They see it. They, they, they play the storyline so well. They're pointing it out to their teammate. Look what's happened. Look what's <laughs> going on. We've got this moment now. Nyhart's laughing because he got him. He, <laughs> he, he plays the injury so well, Randy Savage does. Oh, yeah. But I actually like what happens, what we're about to see here. Liz... You don't see Liz get it as involved as this normally, but Liz is there. She's actually taking off his boot. She's trying to help him out by getting the boot off so they can they can keep an eye on that that foot, maybe give it a bit of room to 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 you know recover. Okay, well, you can't let that thing balloon up in there. You got to let it breathe. Oh, and there's there's our referee separating them, keeping the heart foundation away. Savage with his boot off, trying to drag himself back into the ring. He he was always so good. And I love how it's he's just trying to avoid putting any weight on his foot. He sells it so well. Oh. I love the anvil out here too, laughing at it all. Mm. This looks looks like the boots I uh, the socks I wear to work with my work boots. (laughs) Look like the long white, almost like white um uh like ankle calf calf uh, support you know, a lot yeah, of athletes wear them yeah white or light gray white 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 ones would get like filthy mm. macho calling him in i'm ready bring it on he's got one leg you'll still take him down but smart hitman always the smart wrestler straight to the straight to the leg oh And and this referee, what's he doing? Dragging people out of the way, dragging them off. So where are they? They're in Seattle. Oof, great little bump there. Post again. Mm. Um, yes, they're in Seattle, right? That's correct. Now, did they this this ref? Did he they travel? He traveled everywhere with them, or is yeah, he was like a... he was he was on the crew until just after WrestleMania four, I think he seen until after this match. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, he I wasn't just, around in the mid '80s. He he was just probably around for a short time, huh? Yeah, he's I recognize of, him from watching back in the day. I just didn't. Not the consistency, though. He actually was a um. He did a bit of prelim work. He often, sometimes, I think in the in those mid '80s, you actually saw him working as a as a, as a jobber on on superstars and a challenge and things like that. Into the post again. That's the third time Hart's gone the into fourth, the post yeah. with his shoulder. It's, yeah, they incorporated the post and the ring ropes three or four times here. 
mm-hmm. all with counters too, and not not yeah. nothing the same, always different. And the smart thing there, Macho's using the rope leverage because he can't stand. It allows him to keep to hold on to something while he executes that move. It, it's 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 smart, smart psychology. All right, let's go home with it here. Let's go home with the volume. Pink always wants him to break the hole. It's a baby face, 100%. This has been a really good match. It has. It, it's been fantastic. And I love that Jesse really plays up that ankle injury, talking about how this could be a career ender by continuing with the injury. Yeah. Here we go, baby. Did these two ever wrestle in WCW? I don't think so. Um, when when Brett came to WCW, Savage had sort of gone to part time at that point. Yeah. Here we go, baby. Nice executed turkey. Nice counter. And Anvil straight in to continue Next. the attack, but I. But I love this. He pushes him straight off. Oh, here we go. Back, back to the last Saturday night's main event. No. Oh. Bret Hart took a big. He's taking hits to the shoulder and the side of the head. Macho's got the megaphone now and everyone goes running. And once again, the Macho man, well, he's not standing yet, but... Standing tall, he's, he's succeeded again against the odds and uh, continues his rise to, to the top of the card. A, a, a fantastic match that was. Excellent. She's got to put that boot back on, Dave. <laughs> oh, she've got to, got to take, carry it all the way to the back there, you know. But that that was a fantastic match. That's uh, that's one. If you if you're listening to this on the uh, on the podcast, I encourage you go and check that one out. That, that that to me, it's another four boomerangs worth watching four times over. So when you say four boomerangs, does that equate to four stars? <laughs> that, that's my equivalent of four stars. Yeah, rewatchability. A boomerang comes back. You got to see it again. I love it. I'd probably go three and a half. That was a very good match. Maybe even a little higher, three and three quarters for sure. But yeah, Dave, that was uh that's it for this match here. You got anything to say before we get out of here, bud? Oh, look, um, I think I think it's been it's a great match. As I said, it, it really allowed everyone to shine a great pace and a real enjoyable encounter. And uh yeah, both men really brought it and it shows why the company had them both in such high regard. Cool. Absolutely. It was a great match, Dave, and I was glad I was able to watch it along with you. And thank you for having me. And thank you for, Thanks doing the for YouTube. joining me, Ryan. Thanks for joining me, Ryan. Thanks for watching, guys. And, uh, you know, let's get on. If you're listening to it on the podcast, I think Hulk Hogan's coming up next. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. All right. So I am back to discuss the promos right before the match between King Kong Bundy 
and Hulk Hogan at the November 1987 Saturday Night's Main Event. Now, they cut back after the Macho Bret Hart match ended. They cut to Mean Gene, King Kong Bundy, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Mean Gene says, I must say, and before he can even finish his first thought, Bobby the Brain cuts him off and says, you will say nothing. You will stand there and shut up because I have a lot to say. Now, read my lips, humanoids. You have as much brains at home as the hair that this runt, referring to Gene, has on his head. He states that standing here is 460 pounds of pure champion because tonight is the night Hulkamania dies and Bundamania is born. So really repetitive from the promos from earlier, but it's okay. Gene says you have to remember that Hogan has the support of all of the Hulkamaniacs, so he will never be alone. And Heenan says that they don't care about the Hulkamorons because he has a big surprise. In fact, he has a huge surprise. So then from here, Bundy and Heenan walk to the ring. People are throwing stuff at Bundy. There's good heat here. Uh, Heenan then grabs the mic and said, he said that he had a huge surprise. And in King Kong Bundy's corner tonight will be the eighth wonder of the world himself, the seven foot five, 530 pound Andre the Giant. Now, so we are meant to believe based off their advertised weights that the Giant is only 70 pounds bigger than King Kong Bundy. Um, which, you know, Bundy was a big guy, but that's just not believable. But hey, whatever. Well, we're going to roll with the punches. So now we cut back to Mean Gene, who is now with Hogan in the pre-match promo. Gene asks him how he will handle Andre, that is now in Bundy's corner, and it's now a three-on-one scenario. Hogan is just completely out of his fucking mind during this promo. He's off his ass, just talking nonsense. He says, no, it's not three on one. It's three on the 24-gun salute man, referring to his arms. He's pointing to his veins. He's pointing to his heart. He says, look at the adrenaline pumping through my arms, Gene. He's oiled up to just an insane level here. Just looks gassed off his skull. He says he has a surprise for them, too. That inside these veins that are popping out of my arms, he said he also has a power pack. That's built behind his heart. So even if those three men out in the ring make my heart stop, that his secondary survival system will kick in and will, that will be enough to help him wipe out all three men in his way. This is just as unhinged a promo as I think I've ever seen, which for Hogan is saying something. So then they go forward and they have the match. I will be back later to talk about what we say post-match. Hello, Cronoso Monthly. I am Ryan Everett, and I am here to talk you through the big main event match on Saturday night's main event, November 1987. It is Bundy Mania versus Hulkamania. The big WrestleMania 2 rematch is King Kong Bundy challenges Hulk Hogan for the world title. Uh, and all through the night, Bobby Heenan kept saying he had a big surprise, and as him and King Kong Bundy walk out. He reveals that Andre the Giant will be in the corner of King Kong Bundy during this match, which is a quite the get for him, the Heenan family. You know, just this is coming two days after the first Survivor Series where Andre the Giant won against Hulk Hogan's team. He did get the W. Um, Andre comes out in a suit. He has already sweated through his shirt, which is 
Phantom a problem. I think he had quite a bit. Uh, and then Hogan comes out and his full regalia. Late 87 Hogan might be like the peak of this model of Hulk Hogan, I think. You gotta say it's pretty much the top of his level. And he's wearing the, the 87 title, which Andre makes sure to yell, that's my belt, which Jesse notes. Jesse also notes before the match that this is, of course, who else would be refereeing a Hulk Hogan match, but that idiot Morella who can't even count to three, Gorilla. So, yeah, Joey Morella, once again, referee. Uh, Hogan and Bundy, they kind of have a tense lockup, kind of dancing around each other to start, and Hogan tries some shoulder blocks, but he falls... Next, he falls down next to Bundy after a failed shoulder block, so then he responds with a flying knee for two, as Hulk Hogan, you know, if you asked him, he would say that he invented the Shining Wizard in 1987, and the Great Muda just stole it from him. But hits the flying knee, which gets a two count, and then he goes for the big slam, and Bundy falls on top for two, because with Hulk Hogan, if it's four minutes into a match or less, and he tries to slam a big fat guy, they're going to fall on top of him. It's just it's just wrestling physics. And then we get Bundy kind of, he's in control, he's working over Hogan, chokes him out a little bit, Hogan goes out to the floor to regroup, Bundy fouls him out. Uh, Bundy misses the splash, so we see like a mini Hulk up, it's not the full thing, but he gets a big clothesline and drops three elbows. And gets a two count off of that. Bundy comes back, though, with a clothesline and a slam since, like I said, it was just a mini Hulk up. We're not in the full throes of full-fledged Hulkamania, which there is no no comeback from. Uh, Hogan, or Bundy, I'm sorry, gets a clothesline slam and then goes for the headlock. And, again, this it's a long headlock. It gets the full uh, three arm checks. Hogan's up on the third one. Fights out of it, hits the uh, the big boot, and then as he comes off the ropes for the, the big leg drop, Andre trips him up. The ref sees this, and the bell rings, and at first it's theorized that it'd be a DQ, but then after a little talking, other referees come out, it's decided that Andre the Giant must leave ringside, or King Kong Bundy will forfeit his match. So we got uh, Andre... Is yelling even at Bundy and Heenan are trying to talk him out of it, talking about how this is Bundy's match. He'll win the title. Andre takes off the suit coat, so now he's got like the full 1960s Italian dad look with the suspenders under the short or on top of the short sleeve button down shirt, which is quite the look for a giant to have. Uh, and this kind of stretches for a while though. It, According to the Peacock timer, this goes on for four minutes between action between Bundy and Hogan. So a lot of gesticulating by Andre. He pushes a cameraman down. And then I'm assuming there would have been a commercial break in there. We come back. Hogan and Bundy lock back up. Hogan takes the uh, advantage and runs Bundy into every turnbuckle. And then hits, again, the, the big running knee, which is quite different from Hogan to see. And then, uh, but he misses an elbow drop this time. So Bundy gets control and starts working over the back ribs area. Gets a bear hug. Hogan fights out, but Bundy hits a nice back elbow to uh, counter the the said 
uh, Hogan fighting out of the bear hug. And then Bundy gets Hogan in the corner. He hits a very weak avalanche. It's very odd. It is certainly not the uh, avalanches he hit in the build-up to WrestleMania 2. As it's not even, it's just like he runs into the corner. He doesn't even put his arms out or anything. And then, but Hogan falls to the, falls down, and then Bundy hits a splash to the back. Which, again, you're not going to beat Hogan by running into him in the corner and splashing his back. So we get the two count, though, and then we get the full-fledged Tolk up with, you know, everything going. Gets the punches, gets the, the big boot, hits the slam, but after being slammed, Bundy rolls to the outside. So Hogan and Bundy fight on the floor. Hogan pushes Bundy in at, like, seven, but then Heenan gets low and grabs Hogan's leg while Bundy is kind of uh, distracting the referee. So Heenan holds on for dear life, and Hogan gets counted out. And Heenan is celebrating like crazy. Of course, Hulk Hogan, being Hulk Hogan, gets in a nice cheap shot of uh, Bundy right away, clears him out of the ring. And then he brings in Bobby Heenan, and he just absolutely destroys Heenan. He picks him up in a chokehold and throws him to the ground like three or four times. It is quite the... uh, the lesson in bad sportsmanship as Jesse is quick to point out numerous times. And then, of course, after cheap shotting, after losing to his opponent, cheap shotting him, and then a, a, just viciously assaulting a manager, Hulk Hogan must pose. And that's how the segment ends. Uh, overall, this was a pretty good match. I was surprised at the pace they kept for most of it. There's a headlock and the bear hug, but the bear hug at least, you know, there's fighting out of it and stuff, and not too many slow spots. A good Hogan-style Saturday night's main event match, and it also pushed the Andre story, which will continue in our next Saturday night's main event when we get there. Uh, yeah, I would say two and a quarter. Eh, let's go three, Matt. Or no, you know what? I'm going to go two and a quarter. Two and three quarters. Because I will say the Andre, after he gets tossed out, that takes a little too long. They could have sped that up quite a bit. Like, a minute of Andre complaining and tossing the cameraman gets the point across just as much. That he's angry and they give him promo time later anyway. So, Andre's upset and wants Hogan. We get it. But, overall, a good match. A nice little way to, you know, not wrap the show up as it was... Saturday night's main event, so of course we have a later, another match following this, but a good uh, finish to the main story of the night, which always involves Hulk Hogan. Uh, That's it for now, and we're going next to Hercules and Bam Bam Bigelow, so enjoy. Cronoso listeners, you have made it to the main event of the Saturday night's main event from November of 87. My name is Jennifer Smith. I'm here with my tag team partner, Logan Croslin. How are you, Logan? Oh, I'm doing great, Jenny. How are you doing tonight? I'm I'm good. Uh, excited to uh, watch this very extremely great uh, Bigelow versus Hercules match that we got. Extremely great is definitely a, a way you could describe it. Um, sure. <laughs> maybe not what I would go with, but you could no. definitely you could definitely suggest that maybe it's like something like that. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, did you watch the pre-match promos? I did. They were kind of meh, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, as I said, the Bam Bam uh, Humperdinck one was uh, quite, uh, yeah, quite, quite terrible. I won't lie. Well, not a, her not a not a good pairing. <laughs> no, uh, Herc uh, talks to Gene first. He's wearing his chains around his neck, doing his best Macho Man impression. Um, sounded like <laughs> to me, not much there. Um, and then poor Bigelow, not much of a talker. Um, and Humperdinck, not really much one either. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely not. Um, uh, the funniest thing that Hercules said was he's gonna put the full Nelson on Bam Bam, and the flames are gonna turn red on his head, and his eyes are gonna bug out like his new manager. So making fun of how buggy eyed fucking Hop- Humperdinck is. So that was pretty funny. I-, I thought that was pretty good. And yeah, Bam Bam's a man of few words. Doesn't seem super confident in himself, and then Humperdinck's just kind of a oaf so you know yes all right so we're gonna get into the match now um this is bigelow versus hercules like we said before um the first thing that i've noted down was that jesse called humperdink humper fink uh, sure call, uh, uh referencing uh howard finkel of course um it's very apparent uh, early how agile bigelow is for a guy his size he's all over the place uh early in this one uh, there's a pretty quick brawl that leads to a double countout. So I was like, man, this is like a two minute match. Uh, <laughs> definitely not the best way to close one of these shows. But uh, Bigelow calls bullshit and says uh, he didn't come all this way for a draw. So he's he, he's not having it. Um, we go to commercial and then we come back and then they restart it. And then they do like the little uh, Oklahoma drill where they both line up and kind of run at <laughs> each other. I think that's what it's called, at least. Um, and they both kind of try to run over each other and nothing really happens. And then they do it one more time. And uh, Hercules kind of goes low uh, and Bigelow actually cartwheels over him. So he actually sees it coming. And then he gets up and shoulder tackles him himself. Uh, he then slings uh, Herc to the ropes and goes for a drop kick. Uh, but then uh, Herc holds onto the ropes and takes over from there. Uh, Herc goes from a t- for a top rope dive, but gets caught uh, in an impressive feat of strength because Herc mm. is a huge guy, and uh, mm. Bigelow actually does catch him in midair, and he gives him a huge body slam. He then goes to the apron and hits a slingshot splash, which was his finisher at the time, and that gets him the win. So that that was a pretty awesome finishing move, I thought. I thought, but uh, what did you think of the match overall? Well, when they both got counted out, uh, like I'm like what the fuck no thank you with this match and then bigelow uh, i love me some bigelow and he saves it he's like no we're we're gonna continue to wrestle I'm like this is what everybody should do in a draw but <laughs> but then they do just a couple of moves really to tie it up at the end i like the finish uh, i like bigelow looking strong at the end mm-hmm. um I don't know why they had to do the count out. Was that a fuck up? Like why? <laughs> like why all the fuckery? Why could you not just have this a match? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if it, if it hadn't gone to commercial and perfectly led to the second half of the match, I would have thought maybe it wasn't planned, but I wondered. kind of offers itself to thinking that it's probably pre-planned that they were going to do that. But yeah, it made it a little disjointed and uh, kind of took away from the overallness of it, of it. Cause they really didn't fight that much more coming back. Mm-hmm. So they didn't, they barely fought. I mean, it's barely mm-hmm. a match. Yeah. It, I think it went seven minutes, but they did not fight for seven. Oh minutes. no. The cartwheel was a definite highlight. Um, mm-hmm. Love that. Herc just looks dumb. Very I mean, dumb. he does nothing 
really hear the little Oklahoma, what you call it? The Oklahoma drill. Drill, yes. I was very <laughs> confused by that. I'm like, are that? That's what. Also, that little part made me think the count out was uh, a botch, and they mm-hmm. were just stalling because then they started doing that. I'm like, what <laughs> the hell is going on here? Um, I, it's it's a confusing match. Uh, uh, <laughs> doubtful way to end the show. Yeah, 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 not the not the best closing match for sure. I, it, it does put over Bigelow. Uh, mm. Seeing him in this time period always just weirds me out because he's there for like from the Survivor Series till just right after WrestleMania, so he's barely there. And I, I just associate him so much with like the New Generation era in like mm. 93, 94, 95. Um, I just associate him with that time period, so it's real always weird seeing him here in the eighties. I wish he had hung around. I think he was actually very good. Um, I think a lot of his problems were backstage. I think he was kind of, he was kind of a young punk and he didn't get along with a lot of the upper card guys. And, you know, if you don't get along with the guys that are uh, higher on the card, you're probably not going to get too far because they're not going to want to work with you. So, Um, but yeah, it's definitely always a weird thing to kind of see him here. Um, It was very, the match was very disjointed, kind of like we've been saying, I'd probably go like two stars on it because I did think Bigelow looked impressive, but Definitely no higher than that because it was just it was just kind of all over the place. Yeah, attitudinal boy from Jersey doesn't seem like he would really fit in with these <laughs> with these guys in the eighties. He's meant for ECW. Um, <laughs> exactly. But that being said, I just love Bigelow. So um, and and Hopper Dink's jacket was surely a, a whole mood um looking like yeah. joseph and his coat of many colors yeah, the jacket of many colors <laughs> yeah what i had sure. written down as well <laughs> <laughs> technicolor dream coat or whatever <laughs> um yeah but two stars i feel is g- generous and I'll, I'll go that way as well <laughs> All for Bigelow. Oh, big that's Bigelow's all. Guys. Not for Herc, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> he gets two balloons, which were his <laughs> arms at this point. Uh, or most of his torso, honestly. He was just absolutely uh, just, helium, but for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that'll come to a close of our match. But uh, do you have anything to plug tonight? I just have uh, the Jenny position on Wednesdays here on No So. Uh, cool new shows drop in, uh, GCW, Talking Docs, and uh, of course, uh, you heard about Pluto, all my stuff. And then you can find it all on Twitter as well at Jenny position. What about you? Yeah. Um, I'm on Talking Docs with you. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we just recorded a new one of those. So that should be coming out not too long, not too long after this, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, the seven months of danger. We just recorded a new set of those the other night. So those should be coming out uh, the next couple or in the next couple of Sundays, I believe. Uh, so uh, those are always fun. Uh, always a little chaotic with that group. Um, but it's always, it's always a good time. And then uh, ruthlessly aggressive. Uh, I've been on this month, the shows with Jake and we are finally coming to backlash 2003. We'll be recording that pod tomorrow. So my month will be up and we'll move mm. on to somebody else and the pod will get a lot more entertaining. I'm sure. So. <laughs> <laughs> Doubtful. Uh, thanks for listening. No. So we'll see you next month. See ya. All right, so now we are back at the tail end of Saturday Night's Main Event, November 1987. They cut to King Kong Bundy with Andre the Giant. 
um, who is, you know, being interviewed by Mean Gene. Now, obviously, Bobby Heenan's absent because Hogan threw him earlier in the match and or earlier during the match, and he sustained a neck injury. Bundy says that this is, in fact, the greatest night of his career because he defeated Hulk Hogan, but he's still not the champ because he was not able to pin Hulk Hogan, but that will be what comes next. He demands a rematch, and he promises that with Andre in his corner, all the Bundaholics, so he was saying it wrong, he was saying Bundy Mania earlier, now it's the Bundaholics, instead of it would be the Bundamaniacs, I think is what he should have said. But either way, he promises all the Bundaholics that next time he will, in fact, win the title. And then at this point, Jesse the Body Ventura then shows up, shakes his hand, congratulates him, and says, as far as he's concerned, you are the champion, Bundy, but now it's just a matter of time before it becomes official. So now we cut over to Hogan after a commercial break, and he's with Mean Gene as well. Gene asks him for comments on the Bundy victory and his demand for a rematch. Hogan says that it's a shallow victory because of the interference, and he wants the rematch even more than King Kong Bundy does. But he says that he hopes that Andre the Giant is in his corner again, and he will be able to give both of the men a dose of Hulkamania, and he's not scared. Because then he points to the screen and speaks through the screen. And he says, because in my corner will be you, the Hulkamaniacs. So, pretty nice promo. Pretty good build here. And we will be back later on as we discuss what happens between Bundy and Hogan at the January 1988 Saturday Night's Main Event. Ciao for now, folks. Connection. Hi, everybody. Mike Eller here giving you the arena and overall landscape for our next edition of Saturday night's main event, which took place on January 22nd, January 2nd, sorry, 1988, uh, as we are gearing up to for the first edition of the Royal Rumble, the match and the show in general. Uh, even though this aired on January 2nd of 88, this was filmed a decent amount before that, uh, even before Christmas. It was filmed December 7th of 1987. Uh, so we have some time, and it'll be kind of funny to go over that in a little bit. <clears throat> Going over uh, who we have as champions heading into this show. So we still have Hulk Hogan as the WWF champion. The Honky Tonk Man, he remains our Intercontinental Champion. Uh, we still have Strike Force, uh, Rick Martel, and Tito Santana. They remain our WWF Tag Team Champions. And our WWF Women's Champion, that remains Sherry Martel. Uh, so no changes there. And <clears throat> we are pretty close to our nation's capital. Um, this event is taking place at the Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland, um, again, right outside of Washington, D.C. This arena is pretty much like right in the middle of its 
its, its existence. It opened in 1973 and it closed in 2002. By then, the Capitals and the Bullets, Wizards, had moved out of there by then, moving into their new arena. Um, so just some facts about which major teams played there. Uh, randomly, for, well, not we'll start with uh, the Bullets, eventually the Washington Wizards, uh, played here from 1973 until 1997. Ran what I was going to say, randomly, uh, they were the Washington Bullets up until 1973. Then they changed their name to the Capitol Bullets um, in 1970 in 1973. Uh, before the next season, switching back to the Washington Bullets. Uh, after which they switched their name in 1997 to the Washington Wizards, which they are now known as uh, to this day. Um, the hockey team, <clears throat> the Washington Capitals, played here until 1997, uh, from 74 to 97. And uh, Hoya Saxa, the Georgetown Hoyas, uh, John Thompson, Patrick Ewing, Allen Iverson, um, I, that was a pretty big gap going from Ewing to Iverson. Uh, they had some other players in between there. Um, they played here from 1981 through 1997. Uh, just a plug for a book I read about the Georgetown Hoyas. Uh, their coach, John Thompson, he wrote a really awesome book called um, I Came as a Shadow. And I read it about a year and a half, two years ago, and it was phenomenal. So if you're looking for any basketball books to read, definitely check that out. Uh, moving back to wrestling um, about this building, the last time we were here um, actually was in late December of 87, so it actually took place after this show was actually taped, but before it was actually aired. Uh, just some matches that took place. The big match was Hulk Hogan and Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, they defeated Ted DiBiase and King Kong Bundy. Uh, that's a pretty Interesting team, uh, DiBiase and Bundy, uh, future million-dollar corporation uh, stablemates, uh, so they could lose all their big matches together, and they lost this one too. Uh, we also got the Dream Team exploding, um, or you know, wrestling each other, where Greg Valentine defeated defeated Brutus Beefcake, um, and the last like I, I guess a house show is it major? The last like major major show we had. Uh, it's not really major. Uh, Randy Savage was, oh, well, this took place in February of 1986, right at the beginning, February 3rd. And a uh, big match here saw Randy Savage defeating Scott McGee. So uh, high and exciting for that. Um, announcers for tonight, Vince McMahon and Jesse Ventura. And enjoy the show. Uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to the first part of this. And I definitely... Hope you listen, enjoy listening to the rest of this. Uh, hope you can check out all of our great shows on the North-South Connection. And away we go. Take it away. Hey Steve Bennett here. That's Paula Bennett. We're from the 24-inch podcast of Sportscasters Podcast. Sportscasters. Yeah, man, the sportscasters here for the North-South Connection, the Cronoso podcast. Paula, we're going back to January of 1988. I was seven years old, and I watched this show, Saturday Night's Main Event, as part of my Christmas present. Um, for Christmas that year, I was able to have some friends over to watch Saturday Night's Main Event that weekend, and uh, most of us have fell asleep by the time the show started 
but we recorded it and watched it the next day. One thing I know I saw live because it was right at the beginning were the iconic Saturday Night's Main Event promos. And you know, Paula, we always watch these when we do snack, right? Mm-hmm. We watch the Saturday Night Main Event stuff. And what's the very first thing on every episode? Just kind of describe generically how a Saturday Night's Main Event episode starts. Um, it starts with it starts with music. Okay. And pictures. Okay. And then they do. Sometimes they might do um with um. The promos, right? Yeah, the promos. Where the where they're standing in front of the black uh-huh. background, and you can see the different logos that they make for the wrestlers. And sometimes they actually do show out, like, um, the backstage where they're making it somehow. Yeah. Now, what was interesting about Saturday's main event and the promos on that show uh, was that mostly at this time, uh, this stuff was – the promos were, were off the cuff by the, by the performers. And the wrestlers would come up with all their promo work. But for Saturday's main event, it was a little different because they were working with NBC and Dick Ebersol's production company and they would write out and script a lot of these promos and they would ask the wrestlers to record them and do multiple takes and they'd want it really specifically and that's why a lot of these promos can be sort of filled with puns and sort of um innuendo and and different ways uh different literary devices that they used in these promos uh to help the wrestlers get the story across that they were trying to tell an innuendo is like when you say something without saying it you know you just kind of imply it um, so on this night tonight, the first one up is Jake the Snake Roberts, the first promo of 1988, Jake the Snake. Paul, we've seen Jake the other night on the Sheiky Baby um, mm-hmm. show. How's he doing? Good. Is he? Kind of good. Yeah, tell the listeners about Jake in 2023. Uh, he's been smoking, so we have this tube thing to help him breathe. Yeah, he's got the oxygen going 24-7, right? But back in 88, Jake was excited. It's a new year for Jake. And, of course, Damien. Uh, Sika and Fuji are invited to a party that Jake's throwing. And Jake will change their future with Damien and the DDT. Up next, Greg the Hammer Valentine's with the Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. Jimmy uh, says, what do you get when you combine Coco and Frankie? One bird and one bird brain. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. Uh, and then, of course, Greg the Hammer says he's going to scramble that brain uh, tonight with the hammer. Oh, I got one. Yeah. What was was it about um, Coco Beware? Yep, Coco yeah. Beware and Frankie. What happens if you put a bird and a bird together? You get a bird hay. Oh, boy. Like a bird face. Dad joke. Of. Dad joke from Paul. We're going to call him Paula Jokes. <laughs> All right, Paul, I want you to listen to this promo. And tell me who you think they were ripping off. Ready? It's from the Strike Force, and the guys alternate saying, Strike hard, strike first, strike force. What does that kind of sound like? Um, for. How do I think of a name? Ultimate Idiot. No, it sounds like the Cobra Kai. Oh, Cobra Kai. Right? What's the Cobra Kai's thing? Strike force. Strike hard. No mercy, sir. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Strike hard. Strike first. Strike force. Bolsheviks, beware. Uh, Mama mia. Next, we got the Bolsheviks with Slick. Uh, there's going to be a real Russian revolution, Slick says, and the Strike Force's heads will roll. But Slick is a kind man with a doctorate in fashion, and he would like us to know Happy New Year and peace, brother, as the three 
give the peace sign. Up next is King Kong Bundy with Bobby Heenan and Andre the Giant. Uh, Bobby mentions the last time on Saturday Night's main event that Andre was removed because he wasn't the manager. Well, tonight he will be the manager. Bobby's stepping aside tonight, and Andre's going to be in Bundy's corner when Bundy takes on Hulk Hogan for the championship. And the guys put their hands in, and they go, Bundy, Bundy, Bundy. Yes, Paula? Um, Andre has something. All right, Paula's got the Andre LJN out, and Andre would like to speak. But you'll also be a champion. <laughs> go ahead. No, you go ahead. I'm the best player. Hulk Hogan stinks. <laughs> Next up is Hulk Hogan. He says Bundamania makes him sick. Cheap shot, cheap victory, King Kong, Bundy mania is not real. The prayers, the vitamins, the training, Hulkamania is the real thing. And even if he needs to go through Andre the Giant tonight, he will prove that Hulkamania, that Bundamania is dead and that Hulkamania will live to get forever. And we go into the uh, the iconic um, Saturday Night's Main Event opening that theme. That actually is true because they both, they didn't both die. Who? Yeah, Andre and Bundy are both dead, yeah. So, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> Hulk's still living, right? Yeah, Macho Man now. Oh, yeah. Andre and Hulk Hogan stink. I'm the best. Andre, he stinks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Macho Man Randy Savage said, say, oh, yeah, the Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, yeah, the Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> All right, it's Paula and Steve, the Sportscasters, 24-inch podcast. Check us out. We're going to be back later to close things out with the ending promos. Find out what Vince and Jesse and Gene thought of the night. Um, enjoy the show. Enjoy all the great voices that are going to come on from the North-South Connection. Some of our friends and partners and everyone that's going to be on to tell you about the great matches. It's Saturday night's main event. It's January 1988. I'm having a sleepover with my friends, although we're all sleeping by the time the show gets going. Uh, and those are the promos, the iconic opening montage of Saturday night's main event. We'll be back at the end of the show. We skipped Hulk Hogan. No, we didn't. All right, get him in quick. Hulk Wolves! North-South Connection Podcast Network. We interject into the Cronosa Monthly Project with a breaking news story. Strike first, strike hard, and strike force. This is Johnny C. bringing you the opening contest from the January 2nd, 1988 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event Gorilla, or I guess I should say McMahon. It's a tag team title encounter that's scheduled for the best two out of three falls between reigning World Wrestling Federation champions, the Strike Force, and their opponents and challengers. The Bolsheviks. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let's say you were just tuning in to this wrestling program for the very first time, unaware of what match you were going to be witnessing. Don't worry. The World Wrestling Federation has to put together one of their patented graphic-based presentations to let you know who is going to be going uh, against one another in this encounter. We get a graphic for the Strike Force taking on the Bolsheviks. The Strike Force... The words strike and force with some lightning bolts. I like the brand synergy there. Now, the Bolsheviks graphics, uh, shades of the Macho Man Randy Savage, do contain uh, images of 
the sports entertainers. So what the hell does that mean? You know, the Macho Man's patented graphic, it's him, like, pointing with his glasses, and it says Macho Man. The Bolsheviks' patented graphic says the Bolsheviks. And then, ladies and gentlemen, the graphical representations of the Bolsheviks themselves. You ever see the episode of Seinfeld where George steals the picture from Mr. Kruger of Kruger Industrial Smoothing? And he gets him erased, and then they have to draw him back in? That's sort of what the Bolsheviks look like here. Now, speaking of the Bolsheviks, before we can get started, Mean Gene Okerlund is in the back to speak to the Bolsheviks and their manager, the Doctor of Style, Slick. Now, Slick does most, if not all, of the speaking here for his charges. And the Doctor of Style starts out by just straight up hating on capitalism. Now, look. Capitalism is a flawed system. Like pretty much anything on this planet, it is imperfect. And I'm not really here to talk about capitalism versus communism, but I am here to say that if I was going to pick one manager from this time in the World Wrestling Federation's history, I can't think of a worse manager to sit here and throw shade at capitalism more than a doctor of style slick. I mean, he's a doctor of style. He appreciates lavish, expensive things. Okay? You don't get that with, you know, traditional Soviet-era communism. How do I know this? Am I some sort of a historical genius? Well, no. I recently watched the movie Tetris on Apple+. Plus. dun 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 The Bolsheviks and Strike Force on Saturday Night's main event. Dr. Slick, can we put the square over here? No, you need a straight line. And in Tetris, the Soviet Union, in this very time frame, 1988, was very depressing. And nobody had nice things. So I just don't understand why the Dr. Style Slick would hitch his wagon to the Bolsheviks and say such things. Now, the Bolsheviks claim they spread peace as opposed to the warmongering of the strike force. The Doctor of Style Slick calls the Strike Force a couple of Rambos, which might be the most ludicrous statement in the history of our sport. Have you seen Ricky Martel in this era? What about Ricky Martel and all the the big giant guy, the big gigantic fucking smile that's permanently etched on his face? No disrespect to the model. I love you, Ricky Martel. But what about this man oozes a John Rambo? And I get that Slick's probably trying to reference something that's recent. Uh, this year, that being 1988, would see the release of Rambo 3. And what's with the Rambo series, huh? You got First Blood, which is like a serious, hardcore fucking statement film. And then in 1985, you've got Rambo, First Blood Part 2, which is practically a fucking comic book. And then you've got Rambo 3. Not only does the series lack a coherent narrative structure and, and, and cohesiveness in the character's portrayal, but for some crazy insane reason, Rambo First Blood Part 2 might be one of the most insane titles in cinematic history because the film is simultaneously Rambo 1 and First Blood 2. And then they just skip Rambo 2 altogether and go straight to Rambo 3. 
Actually, this film series might be more ridiculous than having Slick be a communist, now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, but they do hate upon the strike force, and I wonder to myself, why? Why would the Soviets hate the strike force? And then it dawns on me. They're the strike force. The USSR is not for workers' rights, clearly. And again, I'm not trying to make a political statement. It's just, you know, Tetris, okay? The movie speaks for itself. It has to be true. It's a movie. And I just don't think that the uh, Bolsheviks would like the idea of the workers revolting and starting some sort of a strike-based revolution. I've also seen Metropolis, so I definitely know that shit doesn't fly. Um, now, they also indicate that last month, Gordy, that's Mikhail Gorbachev, to you and me, flew in to talk strategy with the doctor and the Bolsheviks. Mean Gene's all like, well, I believe Gorbachev came in to see Reagan. And the doctor's style is like, well, he had about this much time for Ronnie. And the this much time, he's with his fingers making a little small amount of time. Uh, speaking of Seinfeld, like 10 minutes ago, uh, Boris Zukov, by the way, during this interview, is wearing George Costanza's favorite hat from the J. Peterman collection. But let's head to the ring here and land over Maryland as the booze rain down as the Bolsheviks make their entrance. Johnny C, uh, side fact, I think I've been in this arena before. If the Washington Capitals still played here circa 1996-1997-ish, because I think that's when I went to the game. So the Caps beat the Islanders. So, there you go. Jesse the Body Ventura is impressed that a Dr. Style Slick is friends with Gorbachev. And, uh... The Slickster grabs the microphone and lets us know it's time for all you dummies to stand up for the Soviet National Anthem. Nikolai grabs the microphone. He sings! McMahon pleads on commentary that he hopes it's the short version. But there's no time to be respectful to our nuclear-equipped friends in the Soviet Union because we need to cut to a video to see how Strike Force won the gold. We flash back to November 1987 from Syracuse, New York, the home of some nine thugs, allegedly. We see the strike force taking on the Hart Foundation and a double team body slam is administered to Dureno. Rick Martell grabs the legs of Jim Neidhart, flips over, locks in the Montreal Crab, or the Montreal Crab, and Dureno submits. Rick Martell, uh, upon winning one half of the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions, leaps into the air and celebrates. Brett the Hitman Hart is desperately trying to get inside the ring to get an assertion of what has happened. And God love him, the, 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 I always call him the model, the strike forcer Rick Martell gets some kicks into the hitman just to rub salt into the wound. And I love it. Let's head backstage now with Mean Gene and the Force. Uh, strike Force here sporting some fucking ascots around their neck. They're like ascot chokers. I kind of want one. And I absolutely want a Strike Force windbreaker. But here's the real question. Citizens on the North-South Connection Podcast Network, if you could buy a Strike Force windbreaker, would you go for the variant with the Tito Santana hat or the Rick Martel Canadian flag? 
one being the flag of an actual nation of which I respect, the other a somewhat stereotypical Mexican headdress. I'll leave that decision to you. It's a sombrero. I mean, it, you know, people wear sombreros, I guess. In that movie, The Three Amigos. McMahon could, you know, Vince McMahon, ironically enough these days, could probably get away uh, get away wearing a sombrero with that fucking stash because he looks like El Guapo from The Three Amigos. He's like, wow, yeah, yeah it's good to be back in the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, I'm not so much famous anymore. I'm infamous because I am El Guapo. He also looks like he's about to tie Stephanie to the railroad tracks at any potential moment. But the Strike Force says they're so proud. And Martel says, 88 is the year of the Strike Force. They're going to be striking hard and striking with lightning force. Uh, Tito believes that they can beat the larger athletes that are the Bolsheviks. And here they come, making their entrance to the Landover faithful. It's the Strike Force with girls in cars. Stutter, stutter. Girls in cars. It might be the best theme song, girls in cars. I mean, seriously, is there a better theme song in sports entertainment history? It's this and Real American. It's gotta be, right? Now, the following contest, as I mentioned, is the best two out of three falls. The Strike Force remove their windbreakers, throw their ascots to the crowd, and the bell rings, so it's time to get underway. Now, Tito Santana and Boris Zukov start. Side note. Strike Force Rick Martel might be the happiest man in sports entertainment history. What's he got to smile about? The man smiles the entire match, and it's okay. I love it, but I just can I can I have some, please? Like whatever it is, can I just borrow it for five minutes? But uh, back in the ring, my God, Tito Santana and Boris Zukov are chain wrestling. Tito and the Zook going move for move, counter for counter. It's unbelievable. Until Tito Santana puts a stop to it when he locks in armbar. Rick Martel is tagged in and smiles largely, and then tags in Tito Santana. Martel tagged back in. My God, the man is so happy. Nikolai Volkov is brought inside. There's some quick near falls until Borisukov comes back into the ring. Eventually. Things settle down, and Tito Santana is legal and hits a flying body press until the nickster, Nikolai Volkov, breaks up the pin attempt. A big clothesline from Leningrad puts big Nikolai Volkov in control. However, Nikolai Volkov appears to have lost control of his motor functions as he starts to throw savage kick after savage kick, but trips all over himself. Tito Santana appears to be the babyface in peril, until Boris Zukov is tagged in. And, ladies and gentlemen, Tito Santana is attempting to make a tag to Rick Martel. Boris Zukov is standing in his way. And I swear to you, they play some sort of children's-based game of chase or cat and mouse. All we're missing is the goddamn Benny Hill theme song. Because, like, Tito goes left, and Boris goes left, and then Tito goes right, and Boris goes right, and then Tito crawls, and Boris steps forward slowly, and then finally Tito gets around and makes a very hot tag to Ricky Martel. Ricky is a house of fire. He delivers a big back body drop, then locks in the Montreal Crab to Boris Zukov. 
Nikolai Volkov enters, attempting to save his partner. But Tito Santana breaks it up with a punch. And about four minutes into this matchup, Marasukov submits to the Montreal Crab and the Strike Force lead. One fall to none. Now, I'm just going to point out that Strike Force, of course, like any team would do, celebrates their victory over the uh, Bolsheviks here in the first fall. And they celebrate by hugging. Uh, a lot. And that's okay. I'm just saying. They're, they're huggers. It's fine. Now, Tito's perm here is out of control, though, because, you know, it's not wet like when they come out, and it's like, Arriba! Like, that's the way I feel looking at it. Uh, Vince lets us know, The second fall will occur right after this! And don't forget Hulkamania's tonight as well! That's actually the big draw, but come back for fall number two! But we're back. And, oh my god, right away, Tito Santana dropkicks Nikolai over the top rope, and Sure, that's a pedestrian move, but when he gets hit, Nikolai goes, ah! and then flops on the ground. It's tremendous. Double team drop kick to Boris Sukov, and Strike Force is clearly still in control with the momentum. Rick Martel immediately goes back to the Montreal or Boston Crab on Boris, and that's, I mean, look, it's like an eight minute, two out of three falls match, but I like the psychology there. That's what you want to see. Uh, Nikolai breaks it up, though, and declares that he's now the legal man. Oh, these commies. Can I say that? Is that? No, I'm leaving it in. Nikolai uh, then hits, well, he lifts Rick Martel for a military press into a gut buster. But man, not only does he barely make impact with a knee to the gut, but he gives Martel a massive wedgie, which of course makes the women and men here in Landover excited, but makes Ricky uncomfortable. After this wedgie-related cupbuster, a cover is made. One! Two! No. Borisukov is back in and unloads a fury of slaps and headbutts. Now Nikolai's in with more headbutts and eye scratches. A dropkick out of nowhere from the Rickster. He goes to make the tag, but no, he can't get it. The Bolsheviks are illegally double-teaming now, and McMahon's all like, Come on, ref, get control of this thing. It is referee Joey Morello, though, so you know what to expect. Nikolai puts his head down while Martel bounces off the ropes. Sunset flip! One, two, no. At this point, Martel gets up and just rams into Nikolai like he's a goddamn suicide bomber. Oh, I definitely can't leave that in. No, that's okay. Both men are down. Uh, they crawl to draw the suspense. Double hot tag. Tito's a house of fire. Between both Bolsheviks, he hits six drop kicks. Then the flying forearm makes the cover. But Nikolai breaks it up again. Rick Martel goes after Nikolai, but referee Joey Morello is all like, Hey, you gotta get out of here, Rick Martel. You're not the legal man. The Bolsheviks use this distraction, and the slickster proves he might indeed be a communist because he gives Nikolai Volkov his cane. Wait a minute, though. In true communism, all three members of the Bolsheviks party should have canes of equal value. All right, forget it. Anyway, Nikolai leaps into the air, swings the cane, but Teets gets free, and Nikolai hits Boris. One, two, three, and it's time for the Strike Force to celebrate with some girls in cars. The match is fine. I mean, like I said, it's an eight-minute, two out of three falls match with the Bolsheviks. Strike Force goes over 2-0. I mean, the writing's on the wall here, but it's fun enough to watch. 
it won't make you feel bad or great in any way. It'll make you feel right where you need to be with nostalgic WWF programming. But that's going to do it for old Johnny C here. It's time to move on to the next uh, match on the card. But don't forget, you can find me once monthly with the Multiverse of Fabulousness with my co-host Keithy Langston. We took a break in April. We're fucking busy. What do you want from me? No, I'm just kidding. We just it, it didn't work out. But we're coming back in May, and you can hear us at least once a month. And don't forget to subscribe to my personal podcast feed, The New TNN where I do uh, lookbacks at movies, wrestling, all sorts of shit, but definitely with a comedic slant. So if you want star rankings, I mean, I'll give you some, but you're probably going to hate them. I'm Johnny C, and a winner is you. So we go from that great moment of two handsome partners embracing in victory, celebrating with cheering fans, to the back of the arena, and the sickening sight of a man holding a comically giant jar of mustard. That man is Mr. Fuji, and he's being interviewed by Mean Gene. Mr. Fuji is rocking his demolition makeup, and as Gene talks, Mr. Fuji is stirring the mustard with a big-ass spoon. The mustard is, of course, spilling over the top of the jar, like a Winnie the Pooh and some honey, and as we've learned, these past few decades, Vince McMahon has a childish and gross sense of humor, also a terrible sense of humor, so I have no doubt that he was adamant about the mustard spewing over the top, and he definitely found that hilarious. There is a truly great shot here, and it occurs when Gene is beginning his questioning of Mr. Fuji. What appears to be a giant sub sandwich enters the shot from the left side of the screen. So this giant sub, probably uh, filled with some prosciutto on it, is being presented into the frame by Sika, who we find out here will be facing Jake the Snake Roberts up next. As Mean Gene's kind of like, what's going on here? Mr. Fuji says, this is dinner, as he glops on some mustard with the spoon to the bread. Then he says, it's Damien. And Gene says, is this dinner for Damien? I guess Gene asks. And Fuji says, dinner is Damien. Whoa. So I realize here it is not a sub. It is uh, the sub, cl- the close of a sub. <laughs> I guess the bread is the close of a sub. It's just the bread. I jump to a sandwich conclusion here, but it's just a bun. Like a hot dog, asks Gene, totally flummoxed by the situation, as Fuji is still globbing gross mustard on there. Mr. Fuji says, more like a hot snake, not a hot dog. And then he starts wiping the mustard on the top of the roll, which is as disgusting as it is against all sandwich-making etiquette. So here, as Dennis Reynolds would say, it's all about the implication. And the implication here is that Fuji and Sika are going to put Damien into the giant bun and eat him. That's outrageous. And if you've ever heard the story or legend of Mr. Fuji and the dog and the eating of a dog, it is uh, super gross here because he's a total piece of shit if that story is true. Also, if you know how poorly Damien has been treated by Jake, which, you know, unfortunately I learned as an adult, even though Jake was one of my favorites as a kid, kind of makes Jake a piece of shit too, and it kind of makes you wish someone would have just killed Damien and put him out of his miserable life. Then we get the most repugnant thing I have ever seen in wrestling. And I know that dumb shit schmuck uh, Meltzer has his uh, most dis- most disgusting promotional tactic award, which you know, always elucidates what a truly unsocialized cipher he is. Well... Here, the most repugnant, disgusting thing I have ever seen in wrestling might be this moment. Well, honestly, the condiment orgy that Michael Cole participated in during his uh, Jerry Waller feud and WrestleMania match is far more disgusting. But a close second is this, because we get a rancid money shot to this promo as Fuji shoves a giant load of mustard into Roman Reigns' father's mouth in a disgusting close-up. Barf, I hated this. Uh, So... 
Cut to the ring entrances. Vince says the man referred to as Sika is a savage. And he's not even sure he should be allowed to enter the ring. I mean, Sika's a former world tag champ. It's been entering wrestling rings with, like, avian carcasses for many, many years. But I kind of agree that anyone with mustard breath should be uh, instantly disqualified from any wrestling match. Jesse asks Vince, is that how you eat your snake with mustard? Vince replies, I don't eat snake. Uh, he will gladly sexually assault a snake if it's in the backseat of his limo, but he definitely does not get that Jesse is making a joke about him blowing himself here. Vince says that the man Sika could eat anything, including Jake the Snake himself. He says Damien might be striking back, and Jake might be striking with the DDT. In the back, Gene asks Jake if he's concerned, if Jake is concerned with the eating habits of the savage Sika. Jake has Damien wrapped up all around him. Jake is kind of pointing the snake in Gene's face here, like it's uh, his own microphone to interview Gene with. A serpentine microphone, if you will. Gene is very, very aware of the snake. The snake is definitely looking like it wants to give Gene a little smooch on his little uh, glistening lips. Give him a kiss right underneath the mustache. So Gene, in a funny bit of camera blocking, ducks behind Jake instead of being parallel to the snake's kisser. Uh, It's pretty funny. Jake says none of what Gene asks concerns him or Damien. Jake says he respects what Sika brings to the fight, but you have to respect the DDT, man. Jake says he's not going to go face-to-face with Sika very much in this match. He's not going punch for punch. He may take some shortcuts against Sika, knowing what a vicious competitor Sika is. This is cool here. It shows that Jake respects and puts Sika over as the legend and monster that he is in the WWF. Gene is making ridiculous faces here. Jake calls him out on it. Gene just says, hey, I'm jumpy. Gene asks Jake if he's seen the eight-foot, I thought six, but this is an eight-foot bun that is awaiting Damien. Jake says, of course he's seen it. But instead of what Mr. Fuji has planned, perhaps they'll twist Mr. Fuji into a pretzel and shove him into the mustard. Gross again. Gene says all this talk of food and snakes and hot dogs and buns and mustard gives him indigestion while he fights back a burp or a verp, perhaps. The agita is real here for Gene, and he looks truly disgusted. Back to ringside, Vince is asking Jesse, do you think Sika has ever had a case of indigestion? Jesse blows it off, says no, but then he calls out Mean Gene for being unprofessional and belching on national television, which Jesse finds gross. Jesse much prefers being a 9-11 denier on the... <laughs> on television cut to a commercial and when we come back we get a sign that says we heart jake and the word ddt we don't have a particularly deep feud here but i'm sure jake is pretty pissed that fuji and his boy kamala helped the honky tonk man dress up like kimchi and fuck jake up at saturday night's main event a few months back plus he did just threaten to eat his goddamn pet so it ain't hogan andre but it's a it's a nice start for a real small little Saturday Night's Main Event. We start with a lockup. Sika misses a big old chop. Jake with some really great deep arm drags here that would make his rival Ricky the Dragon Steamboat uh, take notice. Jake grabs control of the arm. Jesse says it's smart to wrestle Sika because you're never going to win a fist fight with Sika. Just then, Sika misses some big haymakers. Jake throws some jabs now. Then he starts working the arm again. Gotta note, Jake has some cool tights like he always does. These are black with a really cool red snake pattern. Jake is really using his speed advantage, running around quick and avoiding avoiding Sika's attempts to take advantage. Jake gets to Simone in the corner and shoulder blocks his gut as he takes control a little bit. Jake tries to whip Sika out of the corner, but he's blocked by the big right hand of Sika that connects to the jaw of Jake. Sika whips Jake into the corner, but Jake kind of runs into the corner, uses his foot and bounces up off the second rope and uses that momentum to reverse and run at Sika. It's kind of a thing you see like a Daniel Bryan or kind of like guys that were doing in the indies or smaller dudes started doing in the uh, early 2000s. I don't ever remember really seeing many guys do that in the 80s. Uh, unfortunately, it backfires. Sika gives Jake a big old back body drop where Jake gets some nice air here. Sika comes over and just starts scraping his nails along the back of Jake. 
raking the scales off the snake, as Vince says. Zeke is on the attack. He pushes Jake towards the apron while he's still on the ground. While Jake is still on the ground, uh, the snake's head is exposed here for the dastardly Mr. Fuji to attack from the outside. Two shots with Fuji's cane right into the neck area of Snake. Sika comes over, uses his bare foot to choke Jake a little more while he's still on the ground. Sika, who is constantly referred to as the mighty Sika on commentary here, is using big headbutts to rock Jake. Samoan headbutts, so you know they're extra, extra mean. More raking of the nails across the back of Jake. As Jake is sitting on the mat trying to get up from behind, we get the dreaded double nerve hold working the trapezius here as only a heel in the 1980s can do man if you watch a lot of old 80s wrestling you will see many many heels especially a heel that is not from the united states or wears a mask or has a gimmick as a monster apply this deadly maneuver uh deadly to the opponent and deadly to the flow of many madison square garden matches i watched as a kid sika starts visibly salivating uh while he has jake in this whole dripping drool on his head uh jesse says this is because because Sika is thinking about eating, eating Damien at the time. More gastro talk here as Vince says he's getting indigestion watching Sika salivate. Jake almost looks like he's going to go down to this neck hold, but then Sika picks him up. He whips Jake into the ropes. Jake bounces off and hits a big Mr. Wrestling high knee whiff that catches Sika. Sika is staggered. Jake runs up to Sika and hits a big gut punch. Four quick left hands from Jake. He bounds off the ropes and nails a big right hand. Sika is stunned but still on his feet. Jake again off the ropes but Mr. Fuji grabs his ankle. Joey the Moreau the ref definitely sees this but he does not disqualify Mr. Fuji. Vince is calling for the DQ. Jesse says eh he just grabbed his shoe. Sika goes running full speed at Jake. Jake dodges out of the way and Sika hits the fucking turnbuckles hard bashes his face on the top turnbuckle, and we get a roll-up here from Jake and the 1-2-3. Joey Morello was a little quick-ski on that count, but it does not matter. Jake wins the match with a roll-up. As Jake goes towards the corner to get Damien, Sika is pissed, and he runs to attack Jake after the loss. Jake ducks, and he he flips Sika straight out of the ring. This leaves Jake alone with Mr. Fuji, and the crowd is losing their shit. Mr. Fuji feebly swings his cane at Jake, not even close. Jake punches him in the gut. And what are we getting? We all know the crowd is losing their shit in anticipation. Three letters, the DDT to Mr. Fuji plants him on his bowler hat, which stays on top of his head as he takes the DDT. Mr. Fuji's way of selling this DDT is by fucking the ring mat. Uh, He is not stopping. He is pounding his hips into the mat for a while. He is not a two-pump chump. As he attempts to get the ring pregnant, Jake turns him over, drapes Damien all over him, and gets a modicum of revenge for animals everywhere on that piece of shit, Mr. Fuji. Mr. Fuji is really keeping the thing away from him. He does not want that snake to get near his face, you can really tell. And and Sika pulls him out of the ring as his pants are almost falling down. I wish I do wish the snake had choked him to death and fucking ate him, just like the titular creature did to John Voight in the uh, movie Anaconda. Because Mr. Fuji he sucks as a manager, he sucks as a person, if that story's true. And I once bought one of the worst shoot interviews I've ever attempted to watch. It was an ROH shoot interview he did that I literally could not understand a goddamn word he said for three hours. Glad I got it on discount. Jesse calls out the fact that the hat stayed on his head, and Vince says, Oh, you would have noticed that, Jesse. So I put myself in great company, as me and Jesse Ventura are great observers of wrestling minutiae. Uh, the match was cool. Typical 80s Saturday night's main event, later in the show kind of match. No huge buildup, but Jake, the super over babyface, and the heel who has a reputation and has been around forever as a monster. 
He's kind of like a, a Ming or Barbarian when they were in WCW, where you knew they probably weren't going to win most matches against upper card guys. But you knew they were going to give the good guys a little bit of an ass kicking and a run for their money in the ring. So this match here, we get the good guy gets a win after overcoming some bad guy cheating. Speaking of Sika, he's not going to be in this company for much longer. And we're only going to see him a few more times after this. And uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to miss him, regardless of uh, what his breath smells like. So we get a little Winsky for Jake after, you know, the Honky Tonk feud and Kamala fucking wrecking him a while back. So it gets Jake a little Winsky and a little uh, good guy momentum heading forward. Story of the match is, like, you get the suit, like I said, you get the super popular good guy and his pet that everyone loves. And you get the bad guy who says, well, I'm going to eat that fucking pet with mustard. <laughs> Jake has to fight two guys off here as they're trying to cheat the whole time and steal a snake. Jake's fighting for the life of his buddy Damien. So that's a pretty cool story that you get set up with a real quick promo in the back. And it's not that much, but it's enough to like really put some stakes on a match that could have been a throwaway. You know, Paul Abdul would release a song a few months after this called Cold Hearted with lyrics that include he's a cold hearted snake. Look into his eyes. He's been telling lies. Uh, Jake is definitely cold hearted, but not that much that he does not love his snake. You look into his eyes. And he will tell lies, but this on this night, he was not lying. He said he was not going to go toe-to-toe with Sika. He might try to sneak in the back door and get a win. And that's exactly what he does. He does go toe-to-toe a little bit, but in the end, he snuck in a little Winsky by using his speed and his cunning. So at the end of the, at the, end of the night, Jake humiliates Mr. Fuji, gets a win, and him and his buddy leave the ring victorious. My name is Rocco Martone, and I had a great time watching this match, and I say check it out. All right, so now they cut to the pre-match promo with Bundy, Heenan, Andre, and Mean Gene. Gene says, if I can have your attention, gentlemen, please. Gene then confirms that Heenan won't be in the corner, but Giant will due to doctor's orders. Heenan then jumps in and he says, so Hogan will only go face-to-face with the two men who have defeated him. It was Andre back in Mania 3 and Bundy at the last Saturday Night's main event. So, you know, revisionist history here, but hey, they're telling a story. Bundy says Hulkamania is dead, and Andre shouts, Bundy Mania lives! Like, just really hilarious on the way he says it with that, like, you know, gigantic voice of his. Gene then says, now, are we to understand that it's doctor's orders that are keeping you from the ring, Heenan, or is it just fear? Andre just snaps and gets in Gene's face before Heenan holds him back. Bundy then jumps in, grabs the mic, says no. He got tossed around the ring by Hogan because Hogan was a real savage last week, but he won't do that to me, and he definitely will never do that to Andre. And then Andre just screams, you won't do that to anyone ever again, ever. And Andre's pissed. So at this point, we're clearly heading towards the Andre-Hogan feud, um, and you know they're just going to leave Bundy in the dust when this match is over in reality. Um, so then Bundy and Andre head to the ring. Then Hogan comes in with Gene. Gene says, hey, this is moments before your first defense of 1988. What do you think? Now, guys, earlier today, when you're listening to this pod, I said that the promo before the match at the November 87 Saturday Night's main event was unhinged. Man, this one might be worse. So, (laughs) it's really insane. So, Hogan says he's had a dark cloud over his head in 1987. He was struck by lightning one time, and he struck by that King Kong Bundy another time. He beat me at that last Saturday night's main event. And now with that no good, nasty, stinky giant, which is now the third time he's called him out on the show, in your corner, the Hulkamaniacs may think I will get struck by lightning again. And this is when it really gets crazy. 
Hogan then states, but Ronald Reagan called a summit meeting at the superpower man. Like, like what the fuck does that even mean? So then he says the superpower of Hulkamania and Ronald Reagan are coming together, brother. And then he states that when he was with Reagan, he made him roll up his sleeves and he saw the four lane highway rolling down his bicep as it started to pop out of his arm. And I said, Ronald Reagan, you're a full-fledged Hulkamaniac. And now that I had that summit and I had that meeting, that's all I need here in the nation's capital to wipe out Bundy Mania forever. And then I'll get my hands on that big, nasty, stinky giant, which is now the fourth time he called him that. So th- this is in complete insanity, what he says during this promo. Um, so basically, he says he prepared for this match by, you know, talking about the arms of Ronald Reagan at a summit meeting. That- that's pretty much what the gist of it was. Um, so Ronald Reagan is a full-fledged Hulkamaniac. Uh, maybe he'll do a run-in in this match. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Welcome back to the Cronoso Monthly. This is Keithy Langston here for the North South Connection. And, of course, we are talking about Saturday night's main event from January 2nd, 1988. And the promoted main event for this evening, of course, is the WWF World Heavyweight Champion Hulk Hogan in a rematch from the previous Saturday night's main event against the one and only King Kong Bundy with, of course, Andre the Ultimate Giant in his corner. So as we kick off this match up here, as we're watching on the Peacock, Hogan is staring down the two giants, the two monsters of the WWF, if you will. And of course, uh, Andre the Giant replacing Bobby the Brain Heenan in this matchup as, I guess, the de facto manager for King Kong Bundy. So very interesting here. We're going to see if anything unique happens in this matchup. As we know, January 2nd, 1988, is this uh, is the show here, and of course that took pl- that takes place uh, after the Survivor Series 1987, where uh, Hulk Hogan's team went up against Andre the Giant's team, and of course, as everybody is aware, Andre the Giant, the sole survivor of that team. So uh, this is uh, going to be a hell of a battle, if you ask me, because Andre the Giant is looking strong and coming back for vengeance against his previous uh, WrestleMania's opponent. And uh, we are going to see if exactly what Hulk Hogan can do against King Kong Bundy. Of course, their previous encounter ended uh, a little bit, a little bit wonky with Andre the Giant getting banned from ringside. So we're going to see how Hogan matches up here against the giants among men, the, the, the walking condominium, as uh, Gorilla Monsoon had been wont to say about King Kong Bundy. So we have, again, the two men here staring each other down. Hogan's music finally ending. And we are back now, and it's going to be a lockup and a collar elbow tie up here. And, of course, the mammoth King Kong Bundy. Man, this guy is massive at this point. Um, Bundy always... Uh, one of the one of the one of the favorites of mine from back in the day. I always I was always it I was always happy and excited whenever I saw King Kong Bundy come down because he is one hell of a guy. Uh, also, apparently uh, loves cats, I believe. So King Kong Bundy, R.I.P. Uh, of course, King Kong Bundy on Married with Children, uh, playing a Bundy, but oddly enough, one of not playing a Bundy, Peggy's cousin. So he was a wanker. Now Hogan doing the four corner post. Or four-corner turnbuckle hit for Bundy. Whip inside, whip into the rope, big boot, and Bundy falls out onto the ringside. And now Andre is going over to maybe give him a little bit of coaching in this case. 
it looks like uh who's that jack Kruger or jack klugman or jack whoever the the angry referee from uh wrestlemania 4 is the angry referee in this matchup here and now bundy's getting back into the ring and it looks like hogan and him are going to tie up again Oh, no, Hogan with a big boot to the midsection and a big elbow to the top of Bundy's head. Another big elbow. A third big elbow. Another whip into the rope here. And it looks like Hogan's going, oh, Hogan with a big axe. With a big, not axe bomb, or a big uh, clothesline to knock the big man down. And outside the ring, he rolls to go once again to Andre the Giant, seeking some information. Andre pleading his case, telling him, get in there. You got to get back in there. You have to get back in there with a man named Hulk Hogan. I need you to soften him up. For my next encounter with him. So now, Bundy getting back into the ring here. Jesse and Vince on the commentary, of course. But now, another big tie-up here from Hogan and Bundy. Bundy now pushing Hogan into the ropes. And, oh, almost a big chop. Another big punch. Hogan blocks both. And a big one fist to the head. Two fists to the head. And a big into the ropes. Third fist. Oh, Bundy falling. Hogan tries to keep him up, and he falls anyway. Hogan's not being able to keep that 400-pound man monster of a man on the up from falling. And now we get an old-fashioned Tito Santana-style arm ringer and a big elbow drop from Hogan on the arm. Uh, Bundy now down to both to one knee. Hogan really working that arm ringer. <laughs> Doesn't think I don't think that Bundy's going to uh, give up on this. I'm pretty sure he's not. <laughs> of course, as we also know that uh, Bundy was on the on the team of Andre the Giant's Survivor Series team in, in November of 1987, but Bundy was actually pinned by Bam Bam Bigelow. So now on now Bam now Bundy here dragging Hogan back down to the ground, back down to the mat. And now he's got him in a reverse on an arm bar. An arm bar. Andre once again just screaming at the referee saying Hogan is giving up. I don't think that that's the case here, but you never know. Maybe Hogan did give up. He has been known to, uh, you know, disobey the rules from time to time. Hogan at this point isn't as obnoxious as he would later get, in my opinion. But now Hogan throwing some punches... Trying to break this arm bar from Bundy. Oh, off the rope we go. Oh, and a big shoulder block into Bundy, but the man does not move. Another shoulder block, and the man once again does not move. Hogan going for a third one. Ducks underneath a clothesline. Oh, and a big back elbow from King Kong Bundy. Slowing the momentum down once again. And now Bundy picking up Hogan to throw him. Oh, man, against pulling the rope against. Pulling the arm underneath the rope. And he makes a big clubbing forearm to the back of Hogan's shoulder. King Kong Bundy just being a menace at this point. And throwing Hogan shoulder first into the corner turnbuckle here. And a big clubbing. Once again, another clubbing forearm to the back of the head of Hulk Hogan. And now Bundy in his own arm ringer here. Look at this. Ask him. Bundy screaming. Ask him. I don't think Hogan's going to submit to that. Hogan threatening to throw a punch. And Bundy just pulling the hair back down and knock to bring Hogan back to the mat. And now. And now Bundy once again. Just holding Hogan to. Holding Hogan hostage here on the ground on the mat. 
with an arm bar. This is a this is a good good slow developing matchup here. I feel better than their initial one in eighty seven in November of eighty seven. Of course, Bundy and Hogan no no strangers to each other facing in the main event at WrestleMania two in Los Angeles in the Steel Cage match. And I think some people may have even thought that Bundy was the biggest challenger Hogan could have at this point. And up to that point, I think Hogan, I think Bundy was literally and figuratively the biggest challenger. But of course, Bundy was overshadowed a year later by Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 3 in front of allegedly 93,000. <laughs> but we all know why there was 93,173 people. Oh, Hogan with a body slam! Hogan picking the big man up and missing the elbow. Cardinal mistake for a ring veteran, Hogan, missing that elbow drop. And Bunny just kicks him in the face. <laughs> he kicks Hogan in the face. And now just another couple uppercuts here. And Bunny with an easy body slam. So, wow, that's Hogan body slamming. Body slamming King Kong Bunny early in the match. And Bunny just missing with le elbows left and right. Can't even drop an elbow. Hogan back up to his feet. Not again. Another few punches to the face. Punching the chrome dome here of King Kong Bunny. Throwing him into the turnbuckle and the big elbow. Or the big clothesline, rather, into the into the turnbuckle. Here we go with some more punches left and right. Hogan, once again, throwing Bundy into the buckle. A big reversal. And the referee almost... Oh, the referee down. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, here we go. The referee is down, so you know what that means. Bundy with a missing a big Bundy splash here. And Hogan now chopping Bundy left and right. Big big fist to the face. And a big, oh, he hits him with the big elbow. And now Bundy staggering on two feet. Hogan winding up for another big, another big elbow hit. And now looks this. There's another referee, and this could very well be Dave Hebner coming into the ring. I'm assuming it's Dave, but it could very well be Earl. We don't, we just don't know, folks. Perhaps Earl Hebner? No, that's Dave. <laughs> that's Dave Hebner, RIP. Now, Bundy rolls out of the ring, and we are sitting, now we're in the ring here. Bundy's out with Andre. The other officials are coming out to check on the original referee here looks like we got, um, who is it? That's not Joey Morella. I don't know who that young referee is, but it could be a, no, I don't think it's a uh, Mike Kyoto. but I want to say there's, you got Dave Hebner is out there. Now they're taking Jack Klugman out on the uh, stretcher. I have never, I don't think, I can't remember the last time I've seen a, an, uh, a referee get taken out on a cart. That's kind of an odd, uh, that's an odd image right there. But uh, we're in a commercial break right now. And unfortunately, since I don't have Peacock Prime or Peacock Advanced or Peacock Special or whatever it is, uh, I'm going to have to vamp here for about another 30 seconds or so. But uh, as we know, Bundy and Hogan leading in this matchup here. And of course, this matchup led to the next, or not the next Saturday Night's Main Event, but the next main event. Of course, we all know what happens in that main event, and we'll get to that, sure, on Chronosal Monthly. But uh, we are moving forward ever-presently in 1988 towards the big WrestleMania coming in March of that year. And we, uh, we know what happens to that WrestleMania as well. So we are coming back from a commercial break, as there was a break in the action. 
for the Saturday night's main event. And it looks like Hogan Hogan and Bundy just kind of vamping themselves as they as the camera is focusing on solely on the referee who's being carted out. And now it looks like oh, so they actually had they actually had like a, a legit stop in the matchup, it looks like, because it sounds like the ring bell went again. So that's kind of cool. Something I haven't I don't think I've seen. And now Dave Hebner counting out Bundy, getting up to five. Pretty fast count he's doing. He's going one, two, three, four, five. Bundy back in and I think about seven. And now we're going to have a big lockup again and a big rake to the eye by Bundy and another rake to the eye. And now Bundy with these clubbing forearms on Hogan's back and Hogan's chest. And it looks like Hogan, now he's going to do a Bundy whips into the ropes and a big clothesline by Bundy knocking Hogan down prone on the mat. Now, Bunny looks like he's going... Oh, I thought he was going to go for an avalanche drop, but he just drops a knee. And Hogan kicking out, but not hulking up. Hogan's just kicking out. He's still... Hogan is still facing peril at this point. We haven't hit the we haven't hit the mark yet where Hogan is now Super Hogan. And another throw on back outside of the ring. So, Hogan's still just doing what he can to keep this momentum going and prevent Bundy from winning. He's on the outside. But now looks like Bundy's going to drag him back in and give him a little bit of a European uppercut, it looks like. And another big, massive blow to the back of the head. So Hogan's back of Hogan's neck and his upper shoulder area taking a beating in this matchup. And it looks like it looks like Andre's yelling at Dave Hebner to start the freaking count already, will ya? So Hogan, Hogan getting, Hogan's getting back up onto the ring, and Bundy just once again knocking him back down. But Hogan now slyly runs underneath or slides underneath the rope. Now Bundy is just, ah, oh, he's standing on top of Hogan's chest and neck. Just standing on the man, holding on the rope. And a very, just putting all of his weight on Hogan's sternum. And now Bundy picking Hogan back up. Looks like for another whip in, another Irish whip into the ropes. And, oh, big shoulder block by King Kong Bundy. And now it seems that the crowd is done. Jesse actually mentioning that the crowd, all the Hulkamaniacs seem quiet right now. Bunny with a pin attempt. One, two. Hogan kicking out at two. And now Hogan in a reverse chin lock. Bunny throwing his knee, his left knee right into Hogan, right into Hogan's spine. And this is a great spot for Bunny to be sucking some air, I guess. But it looks like he, Bunny actually looks like he's not even sweating all that. And Hogan's sweating profusely. Bundy looking in great shape. I bet you Bundy could probably run circles around Hulk, even though he's bigger than him. I bet you his, uh, I bet you his endurance and his cardio is probably far superior to Hulk Hogan's, in my opinion. I bet. So I always liked Bundy. I liked Bundy as a Hogan foil. I liked him as. I I, I wish that he had done a little bit more in his original run. And of course, when he came back in '95, was kind of sad. Now the big avalanche into the corner, and Hogan is down. And Bundy putting the five up in the air because he wants a five count. Now Bundy just needs to... If Bundy just gets down on him, he probably would have the match won. I would think. But now look at this. Hogan Hogan getting thrown one corner to the other. It looks like Bundy's going to go and Oh, another big avalanche. Two massive avalanches in the corner. Andre the Giant outside screaming joy pleasure here and now bundy bundy demanding that he wants the five count so off the ropes bundy and oh down with another one 
two and hogan doesn't even get to three doesn't get to five hogan kicks on now hogan's hulking up here brother and we are gonna get the hulk up brother and there's the breathing the puffing of the cheeks here comes the finger in a minute up the hogan hulk up the kick no effect hogan irish whip from one corner he reverses it bunny into the corner oh bunny is down and the big leg drop one two three is all she wrote hulk hogan pinning the big man pinning king kong bundy unbelievable once once again still your world's heavyweight champion hulk hogan and now it sounds like there might be some shenanigans afoot here andre the giant getting up on the ring apron hogan demanding just toying with andre get in here brother calling him out saying he puts the belt down and says come on in you want it come and get it and hogan showing signs that he's gonna slam andre once more king kong bundy by the way just laying on the ground looks like he's out so now andre's getting down andre's not having any of this he's saying forget you hulkster i don't need this nonsense and there we go hogan is your winner but wait a minute is it possible? <gasps> Andre the Giant coming back in. And he grabs Hogan by the hair. And Hogan, oh, one headbutt. And look at this, putting the big ham hocks around Hogan's throat, just choking the life out of him. Andre in his houndstooth jacket and his pink shirt, it looks like. Just, and his black pants with uh, white socks, Andre, I might add. I don't know what you're doing there, Andre. But I know, I know getting clothes for you is a little... Uh, difficult but i'm pretty sure they had black socks with uh your size that you could wear if they had white socks they had black socks i don't know what andre's wearing black shoes black pants and white socks for but whatever that's andre's problem not mine but look at this andre choking the life out of hulk hogan jesus his whole hands fitting around hogan's neck now it looks like here comes the bulldogs davy boy smith and dynamite kid hitting andre to no effect because of course andre doesn't feel pain I just amazing how his arms and now it looks like the Bulldogs go and double up. They double up on Andre and Andre giving him a double noggin knocker for their troubles. And if I if I was Andre, I would also if I was Andre, I would knock uh, Dynamite Kid again, throwing them both over the top rope and goes right back to choking Hogan right back to choking the life out of the world's heavyweight champion. It seems like there's a date with destiny coming up at the main event for these two monsters. And now the whole locker room comes out. We got Jake, the snake Roberts. We have strike forces in there. J the JYD and everybody just now trying to beat up on Andre, getting Ho Andre off of Hogan, trying desperately to get the man off of him to almost no effect. No one is able to pull this man off of Hulk Hogan. Andre is an angry giant, and when you have an angry giant, what are you going to do? Funny to see Jake Roberts and Andre mixing it up here a little bit because they would uh, go on later to tussle with each other. But And now Hacksaw Jim Duggan coming in, and it looks like the equalizer, the 2 by 4 is going to be the thing that stops this. And he hits Andre. He hits Andre with little to no effect. He hits him with the freaking 2 by 4 and still no effect. And now Jim Duggan bails. But while Jim Duggan, I get, oh my God, he hits the ring apron. He shatters the two by four. And thankfully, while, and thankfully Jim Duggan was doing enough distraction that uh, they were able to get Hogan out of the ring. And the heel or the faces carrying Hogan back. Andre holding the world title up, telling the world right now, 
This is going to be mine. So that's the man right there, Andre the Giant, putting the championship. I mean, he got Andre's got some blood on his cheeks. It looks like maybe he was scratched up a little bit. Hogan selling this like a champ, though. No pun intended. Selling it like a champion, though, that he was beat up and just annihilated by the Andre the Giant. So what a matchup. Saturday night's main event, January 2nd, 1988. Again, this has been Keithy Langston for Cronoso Monthly. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. And enjoy the rest of the show. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, I guess it would be nice if I could touch your body. I know not everybody has got a body like you. That's right. You know the deal. George Michael, Little Faith, uh, number one song back in January 1988. That's where we're at today. This is Johnny D'Amato uh, with the uh, Cronoso Monthly. How's everybody doing? Missed you guys? Nobody missed me. It's all good. Who cares? Uh, yeah, Faith, George Michael. What an album. What an album. Actually, uh, my favorite song on there is a little uh, One More Try. Uh, yeah, you don't want to hear me uh, sing that. That's a beautiful, most one of the beautifulest songs of all time. Beautifulest, yeah. I I failed English. Uh, I failed everything in life. But uh, anyway, yeah, one more try is the greatest. Uh, you don't want to hear me sing that, but I uh, listen to George Michael sing that. What an album! What an album! Anyway, uh, where are we? Uh, January nineteen eighty eight, Saturday night's main event. Uh, whoa, this was a kind of a lackluster one. Uh, slow build towards the old uh, WrestleMania four. Uh, I guess we're uh, getting ahead. Uh, no spoilers. Has it been announced yet? Uh, I don't know. What's going to be the main event? What's going to happen? We'll see. But anyway, uh, looks like uh, we're up to the match of Greg the Hammer Valentine versus uh, Coco Beware. And uh, we start off, uh, we, we see that the Hammer is uh, back with uh, Jimmy Hardy. Got rid of uh, that fucking deadweight uh, Dino Bravo. And uh, Johnny V, after uh, uh, reuniting with the uh, the new dream team, uh, which uh, for the Hammer, the new dream team turned out to be a nightmare. Uh, yes, Gorilla. Uh, we love you, Gorilla. You can't say that enough. Uh, the new dream team turned out to be a nightmare. They're not, not very successful. Uh, he didn't reach her tag team gold like he did with Brutus. And uh, as you can see, uh, a recurrent theme, uh, they're trying to get uh, the hammer back with uh, Jimmy Hart and uh, trying to gear him up uh, towards a little nice uh, mid-card feud back with Brutus, uh, the barber, uh, a freshly turned Br Brutus uh, we saw at the WrestleMania three helped out Roddy Piper with the Adrian situation and then uh, kind of meandered. Uh, Adrian left and he meandered into kind of a feud with Johnny V. He cut his hair, and now uh, he's they're gearing him up for him with, with the old uh, Hammer, uh, his his old partner. So uh, Jesse interviews uh, the Hammer, and uh, him and Jimmy are very happy, and uh, and and Jesse uh, really does a good job uh, reiterating getting it over how how the Hammer is now with uh, Jimmy Hart uh, reuniting, and uh, his career's uh, looking in better shape. And also Jimmy and the Hammer, uh, they, they don't get too many words, and Jesse does most of the talking. And Jimmy and the Hammer, mostly they shit on uh, Mean Gene. They say, it's nice to have you, Jesse, instead of that other uh, idiot holding the microphone. So good going there. Good stuff there. Hammer, Hammer seems to be happy to 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 be uh, rid of Johnny V. And uh, he, he said he's, he's moving on, and the uh, next thing he's going to do is get rid of Brutus the Fruitcake. And uh, yes, uh, that's number one. Uh, keep in mind, this is uh, January uh, 1988. 
for the, the a lot of uh, less than woke uh, statements will be made, and uh, there will be no regrets. And uh, we do go to the uh, for the, the shit on Mean Gene, who's with Coco, a, a little uh, who go greets him a little friendlier, and uh, Coco's uh, showing off his uh, pipes. He's uh, he's singing about feathers and uh, how Hammer and Jimmy are featherweights, and uh, and Coco also uh, mentions that that uh, he's being inspired by Brutus Beefcake. Everybody really gets over the uh, freshly turned uh, Brutus, uh, and uh, and they really. Uh, do a good job uh, of getting, uh, you know, for a you know a pretty meaningless match. They they do a good job of uh, pushing the uh, Brutus uh, Hammer feud, and uh, and Je- and Jesse events uh, once again uh, when we go back to the arena that that's all they're talking about is is Hammer and Brutus and uh, and and uh, then uh, during Coco's uh, introduction Jesse with a classic some classic nineteen eighty eight inappropriate uh, comments says Coco looks like a buckwheat and he sings like Kingfish. From Amos and Andy, and I'm only quoting a, a future politician, uh, uh, Jesse Ventura. So you know, uh, save your uh, vitriol. Uh, it's just uh, I'm I'm just uh, commenting on the uh, on the on the on the comments. Uh, so no, obviously, uh, ni- vintage 1988, uh, vintage WWF. <laughs> And then uh, that the hammer comes in, and the, and the hammer starts off right away, just dominating. Uh, Early drops Coco uh, throat first on the top rope, and uh, Hammer j- just really looks good. Always solid. Every elbow, every forearm, every fist, every clothesline, just so just so stiff, and and it really looks legit. No- nothing uh, nothing looks uh, fake and cartoony about about Hammer, and uh, he he's really dominating. Jesse points out that that Coco is uh, not doing anything, which is correct. Uh, this is a you know. A, t- a total squash and uh, Coco, re- you know, really looking like a, a Jabba. And then all of a sudden, here comes uh, Bru- he- Brutus comes out with the with the clippers, uh, hedge cutters, uh, whatever, just uh, o- overacting and everything. Not 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 a big fan of uh, Brutus. Uh, this uh, this face turn, uh, e- either him as a as a heel or face, very cartoony and. Uh, and Brutus was was just uh, very robotic with, with his movements, and and all he does, you know, is you know just the clip is back and forth, and uh, and and as he's distracting the hammer, Coco gets a couple of uh, two counts on our uh, roll ups, and uh, you know some rare offense for for Coco, and then uh, the ref Joey Morella, uh, Jesse jumps all over him, uh, of course, but uh, Morella actually does his job. He admonishes Beefcake and he sends him away, and. And Brutus uh, goes away reluctantly. Not, not, not really, uh, you know, not, not really befitting of of a of a babyface uh, coming in, interrupting somebody's matches. You know, threatening to to, to cut his hair with the clippers. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of when uh, when when faces act uh, heelish, and you know, Brutus is kind of heelish. But he does go away. Uh, he does listen to Joey Morello and goes away. And then Ahama just proceeds to, to dominate. And, and once again, Jesse's like, yeah, hey, Coco is a pretty much a jobber out there. The only offense he got was when uh, Brutus distracted, which which was correct. Until uh, Hammer goes to the top, uh, and then uh, uh, Coco finally uh, shows some life, and he slams off the top rope. Uh, Coco, a nice headbutt, dropkick, showing some fire. Crowds into a little. Maybe we'll see the upset. Uh, Hammer, just a total pro, sells great. And he, he, Hammer gives great offense, and, and he sells great. Just a uh, very uh, underrated. Every every time I, I hammer out there, never mails it in. 
everything looks legit. Coco uh, do, does a fist drop off the top, uh, gets a two count, and Jesse uh, right, right away says that's illegal. Uh, you know, with the fist drop, a closed fist is illegal. But uh, a anyway, after that two count, Hammer quickly uh, grabs Coco's knee and and uh, gets him in the, in the figure four. And Coco gives up with not, not too much resistance. Uh, he he submits. He, he dutifully submits. Uh, and then uh, the hammer lets go, and Jesse lords Hammer's sportsmanship, and that lasts for about thirty seconds. And then the hammer reapplies after he's already got the W. He reapplies the figure four, uh, and then of course uh, uh, that's that's the cue for Brutus uh, to come in. The match is over, so he comes in and he chases Hammer to the back, saves Coco some injuries, but but Coco still selling the uh, vicious uh, figure four. And uh, for some reason, uh, Brutus chased Hammer to the back, but Jimmy was lingering around the ring, and then. Uh, uh, Coco was was holding, even though Coco couldn't get up or walk, he he was holding Jimmy's legs and Jimmy frantically trying to escape, but he but he couldn't escape. And then Brutus comes back, and and then you know real awkward with, with the Clippers. Uh, J Jimmy's kind of a uh, uh, kind of uh, on his knees there, waving his arms, and uh, and, and Brutus cuts a little of his hair off. And uh, this looked uh, pr pretty bad, although the you know the crowd loved it, of course. But Jimmy, instead of like grabbing the uh, the Clippers or something, Jimmy just waved his arms and. Uh, Kind of let Brutus uh, cut him. He didn't really. Uh, that that was a little wonky spot there. Uh, always with those big hedge cutters to to cut hair. Uh, it 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 really looks silly. And uh, but anyway, uh, overall they did everything. This this is a masterful uh, booking to set up uh, the Hammer Brutus uh, feud. You'd you'd have to be an idiot not not that to see what the is going on here. And uh, it, it, I I guess it got you juiced up a little for the. Uh, for the Hammer Brutus, a nice little uh, mid-card feud, and uh, they they did great setting it up here. So uh, that's that. A simple uh, little two-star special. Uh, we we already saw all the uh, all the greatness from uh, from Hulk and uh, Andre, you know, setting up the, the major matches uh, for as uh, we'll be entering WrestleMania season, and uh, uh, possibly the, I think there's another uh, pay-per-view coming up. Uh, you know, no spoilers. So uh, another good good entertainment here. Uh, maybe not not for me, but from the wrestling or, or whatever. Uh, you know, we got a little George Michael in. We got a little Hammer and Brutus, uh, vintage uh, Jesse on uh, on commentary. Then uh, that's what Saturday Night's main event is all about. So this is Johnny D signing off. Peace. Hey now. Hey now, 24-inch podcast, we are back. Paula Bennett. Hulk Hogan. Steve Bennett. Macho Man. And Andre. We got LJNs, we got humans. We're back, a really great episode of Saturday Night's Main Event. Really enjoyed that one. We're going to end with uh, some promos. Uh, after the last match, we go to commercial, we come back, and Gene is with Andre and Bobby. Gene is disgusted by Andre Giant's actions tonight, but Andre enjoyed it. He said it felt so good. He wants to do it again and again. He can feel the life getting sucked out of Hulk Hogan. Bobby jumps in and says 1988 will be his year. It's a new year for the Heenan family. There's going to be a new heavyweight champion. Bobby has big plans in the ring and in business. And then Andre starts to choke Mean Gene and starts to gag him as he, he's trying to talk. And Andre just choke him. What? What was wrong? What did I get wrong? What is it, Hulk? What do you got to correct? 
I won, not the Heenan family. Yes, Hulk would be victorious in the end no matter what. Uh, we take another commercial. We come back. Gene and Jesse are in the back. Jesse loved every minute of that. Uh, if it was a title match, Andre would have sucked the life out of the champ, and he'd be the new champion right now. Uh, Gene mentions that Hulk Hogan's behind them in the locker room that's adjacent to where they're standing. And Weird. He, he is recuperating. Uh, Hogan's breathing on his own. They thought at first he might have to go on some kind of breathing apparatus. Uh, he does have some damage to his windpipe and possibly a crushed larynx. Uh, but so far, it looks good. Jesse says he might want to be. Jesse says he's really excited because he won't have to listen to Hulk Hogan talk anytime soon. And he knows he won't be running around bragging or posing. We go to commercial again and we come back. And this time it's Vince, Jesse and Gene. Vince, in a somber mood, says it's been a rough way to start the year. Jesse Boy. totally disagrees. And Vince says goodnight. And that leads us to Phil Collins. Take me home. The end of the show. Paul, anything you want to add? Yes. Okay. He been saying stuff during when you were speaking. All right, what's up, Macho Man? You got to do the Macho voice, though. Oh, yeah. Well, you're saying that Hulk Hogan and Andre are in the middle of the story. Am I in it or what? Yeah, my Macho Man. Oh, yeah, you'll be in it in a few months at the WrestleMania. Oh, all right. Paula, where can the listeners hear us? 24 and podcast and the sportscaster. We got to do one more thing, Paula. What? Between now and next time, we're going to have to ask the listeners, say your prayers. Eat your butter. And tell your friends. About the. North-South. The connections.